Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of That Scale RC Show. I believe we are on episode 15 already. This is Jeremy Kendall, one of your hosts, along with... Adam Dean. And tonight we have another guest, so two weeks in a row, which is awesome. Uh, who do we have with us? Who's who's there? Brandon Caton from Snowmod RC. All right. Brandon, What's up? It's good to have you, man. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Are you sure about that? Like, is uh, it really a pleasure? It is. is. That, are you just being really formal no, right now? You no, got, you guys know I love you guys, so it's uh, it's awesome to be here. <laughs> well, all right. That's good to hear. So, yeah, uh, you guys I was kinda, just gonna, I was just to say real quickly, um, anybody that's listened to us probably as long as Brandon's listened to us, we have mentioned his products in our early episodes. We've talked about them throughout a couple of our recent episodes. So now you can kind of put a voice to all the products we've been talking about. Um, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, Brandon kind of knows our deal. He knows our little. Uh, uh, what is it? The warming questions that we got? Yes. yes the so, icebreakers. The icebreakers. So we'll start with those and then we'll uh, jump on in it. Alright. Right on. So, question number uno. Favorite scale crawler? Ooh, that's hard right now. Um, you know what? I'd, right now I'd probably just have to say the original SCX-10. Uh, not the 10.2, just the original one, you know, and, uh, that's because I probably have the most miles on it, and so I can, you know, 150% say it's, you know, tried and true, uh, you know, so. Sweet. It's, it's kind of cool that those are still going strong and they're not, like, made obsolete by the two, like, there's still a lot of people out there running the OG one and having a great time like i mean it's still a super capable rig and you can still get lots of parts for it so yeah that's actually pretty cool i wasn't expecting you to say that yeah it's uh yeah. it was easy to build on you know and the uh, smurf j was one of my first like full scale builds and uh it just all went together nice it looks nice and that thing's about 13 pounds with a battery in it and it oh, all wow. handles it completely fine it's oh it's pretty much bone stock actually except for the electronics and the links uh, and it handles it great. So awesome. Yeah, I was gonna say um, I was kind of blown away by that answer too. Um, but I think I can understand why because realistically, anybody still running an SCX original, you've already kind of upgraded it to be similar or have some of the features that the Ten Two has out of the box. Like you've already probably relocated the battery. Um, for better uh, weight forward and all that stuff. Um, you probably upgraded links and all that kind of stuff, so it's kind of probably all set up. The only thing you're, most people are missing is a scale axle, which can actually be achieved with a couple different companies. So I really like that answer. Yeah, yeah. me too. So second question, favorite place to go crawling? Ooh, that's a hard one too. I've at this point I've been doing this for almost 10 years so um, I, I would have to say here I have a, a two lakes it's kind of like all in the same area but it's uh, South Lake and Lake Sabrina and uh, it's just it's beautiful up there it's up around 10,000 feet 
Uh, oh, wow. so it really gets you up there, and depending on the, the level of the, of the lakes and the time of the year, you can get snow, ice, mud, sand, pretty much anything you can think of, uh, wow. all in the same day. So, uh, and it gets really hot here, down like where I live, uh, so it's nice to get up out of the heat. So, especially in the summer, that's my definitely my go-to destination. How far nice. away are you from Cisco? Uh, about five hours. Oh, okay. Never mind then. I was gonna ask if you like ever go there and just drive. Like I, th that would be kind of cool. Like being a local and just like show up there and go hit some trails. I've done that when right. I go to Reno. You know, a couple times I've gone out with uh, like Team DPC. You know, and I've gone to uh, what is it, uh, Fire and Ice. You know, so I've anytime I go out of town, I usually have a rig with me if there's room for it, so I can hit whatever I find on the way. Nice. Yeah, and just and not to like, um, I don't know, like what is it, thread jack, hijack. Um, for anybody listening, um, he's down by Mammoth, California, Bishop. So, um, just to clarify. Yeah, I'm on the eastern side of the Sierra Nevadas, basically oh, okay. right at the foot of them. That's so. a pretty area, Mammoth Shroud. Yeah, it's uh, it's been this year was good. You know, the, the lack of snow the last couple of years hurt a little bit, but uh, we got a lot this year, so it was nice. Right on. So, next question. Favorite scale event? Ooh. Um, now I have to say by the fire. Uh, I recently went to that for the first time, and that was awesome. It was just me and the wife, which is a rare occasion. <laughs> Uh, you know, because I have two kids, uh, so it was actually our anniversary, and it worked out nicely. And uh, we went down there, and we had a blast. Uh, you know, it was it was different. You know, it was different terrain. It was a different feel than some of the other events I went to. You know, and everybody was just having a good time and scaling way into the night. You know, it was just a blast. Nice, nice. Yeah, that's an event that um, I'm definitely got to put on my list. And for my radar for next year um hopefully stuff plans out a little better and i can make it but we'll see um next question uh current number of rigs owned Ooh. uh let's see one two <laughs> uh luckily they're right behind me let's so yeah eleven. Uh, yeah, I think it's 11. Dang. Nice, nice little yeah. fleet. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's added up. You know, I've got ridden it, rid of a couple to get uh, some friends of mine into the hobby at a, you know at a low cost, uh, and so that was kind of worth it. I do miss those rigs because they were all my original rigs, uh, but at the same time, you know, getting somebody in, into the hobby is totally worth it. So. Oh, yeah. definitely. Yeah, I just I don't know. My my hardest thing though is still letting rigs go out of out of the amount oh, of years yeah. I've been, the amount of years I've been doing this I think I've only let one rig go and I've cannibalized another so that's only two rigs I've ever kind of retired. It's like getting rid of a kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah you kinda. put so much time and energy and effort into these things, you know, separating from them is actually really hard, especially when you're into it, you know, as much as some of us are. 
Right. Oh yeah, especially when you put like the kind of hours and effort into customizing it, you know, because you know, okay, that's kind of that's basically a one-off. So you're not really going to be able to replicate it again. You could yeah. try, but you're never really going to. Yeah. So no, I totally feel you on that. Yeah, definitely. So comp or trail days? Mm -hmm. Trail all day, every day. <laughs> The comp stuff is fun, don't get me wrong, I've done it, you know, but uh, trailing with friends and exploring, that's what really does it for me. Uh, you know, I've, I'm into one-to-one -one wheeling as well, so, you know, nothing makes me happier than just being out in the dirt looking for some new place or new adventure, you know. Definitely. Sweet. Uh, favorite tire? Uh, that was will probably be the Proline Flatiron XLs. Nice. Good I, I have a lot of miles on those on 2.2 and 1.9s and I've never had one fail and they're still got plenty of meat left on them. I won't be changing them anytime soon. Nice. nice. Favorite motor size? Ooh. Uh, that's I'm gonna say like a 35 turn. Anything that you know gets into that 35 turn range. 27 for me is just uh, for where I live and what I do is just I usually get too hot. Yeah. Uh, even even adjusting the pinion, you know, and any lower is just too slow for what I do. So 35 is a good happy medium, right? Depending on the rig, I can just change the pinion or something and you know get it fine tuned and be happy. Yeah. You know what's funny? You brought you brought up a really good point. I really don't understand why they thought 27 turn would be, you know, adequate for some of these rigs because it really, you know, no matter what you do to it, I've never seen somebody make a 27 turn unless you go with something like, I've seen a 27 turn Torque Master work really well, but I've never seen your average 27 turn motor do well, period. I've got a buddy who runs only the 27 turns, oddly enough. Um, his name's J.C. Connor, and he uh, he was the guy who went and helped me with the Boys and Girls Club thing. And he has an Axial 27 turn in every single one of his cars. And I've used them before, but like I have to do like a 10 or 11 tooth pinion, and they're they're super smooth if you do that. But like Brandon said, they get really warm. So I don't know how he's not burning up motors left and right because I mean like he slow crawls with them and everything. But that's like that's his favorite. Like his go-to motor is the twenty-seven turn. I do have huh. one. I um, the was a little chub my FJ forty. Uh, mm -hmm. That I but I also have the SSD scale transmission, and there's not really a range of pinion gears that you can change. So to get oh. everything right, you have to get the right motor. Uh, and a thirty-five turn uh, basically would kill a five thousand ma two S in twenty minutes at full throttle, just walking speed because you were th full throttle the whole time so I actually had to go to the 27 turn so I could actually get some runtime out of the car that is super interesting I didn't realize that yeah uh, there's so there's no there's no uh, adjustment for changing no it's a size. lot like a uh, real car it's you know the, the output shaft off the crank and all that you know it's it's a fit you know you got to have wow. the right spline to everything so the engine or the electronics motor whatever you want to call it uh, are what tunes that transmission 
crazy. So everybody who's buying that new Trail King is going to have the exact same. Well, I'm hoping they kind issue. of address that because the front of the transmission does kind of come apart. Uh, so you can, I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, they maybe renovated that a little bit to make it a little more tunable. But I haven't been able to find any aftermarket or, you know, additional stuff for that uh, transmission. No kidding. Interesting. Interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. And I could be wrong, so if somebody listening, if you know where there's other pinion gears that work, please tell me. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's... Oh, I've Matt at A-Main's building a Trail King, um, well, is going to be building a Trail King pretty quickly here, so I'll actually I'll ask him and see uh, what his thoughts are on that. Yeah, because it looks pretty similar. It just looks like maybe they went with a plastic housing instead of uh, all machined, so... On the tranny or the the fake engine part? The transmission. It, oh, really? Uh, yeah, the mine's all, ca or I guess it looks like CNC'd aluminum, uh, uh -huh. but the one in the new SSD truck looks like it might be plastic. Oh, no kidding. Which would actually be good because it would make it more affordable. That's not a cheap transmission, so. Yeah, no, I mean, if, it, if that's, I mean, Jesus, that trans is like a third of the price of the kit. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Huh, interesting. Man, we learned we're learning new things every day on the show. Yeah, interesting, huh? So, next question: favorite body you wish was available in one tenth scale? Ooh, um, <clears throat> that's for me. It'll be, and this because I'm a big cruiser fan. I'm sure you guys know that, but <laughs> people yeah. like me know. I like my Land Cruisers, uh, and the one body I haven't seen so far is actually a FJ45 wagon, uh, and it, unless you've seen one, it's really hard to explain, but it's kind of like a, the FJ40, it's just a four-door, and it's really long, and, you know, it's it's a tank, you know, and it's just one of those rare Land Cruisers, even on the one-to-one -one side, uh, that's, hard, that's hard to find, you know. So it would be cool to build a scale one of those because that was actually the last one that I completely rebuilt with my dad uh, when when we owned Land Cruisers. We used to have a bunch of them. Oh, I just looked it nice. up to see what they look like. That is pretty cool. Yeah, you can imagine one all dolled up, you know, a nice paint job, cleaned up. I mean, they're cherry. Wow. It, it has, like, a serious, like, vintage look to it with the... Yeah. Uh, the way the like the cladding is down the side of it and stuff. Yeah, and that's all steel. You know, there's no. Oh no, kidding! There. Wow, <laughs> dude, that's a cool truck. That's a really cool truck. Yeah, they're really hard to find. Huh? Yeah, that explains why I've never seen one. Yeah, yeah I was thinking I've never seen one either because obviously the most common one is the uh, FJ40, which everybody mistakens for a Jeep. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and and then what is the or maybe that is the one. Um, is it a more modern FJ45? Because our old neighbor across the street used to have a more, I think it was more modern than that. Some, It was an FJ. I just don't remember if it was a 45 or it was, it was, it looked kind of, it was, I guess, the predecessor to what the new Land Cruiser looks like nowadays. Not so, the FJ Cruiser, but the Land Cruiser. Is it, was it like a big wagon? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's probably, well, if it's not like Rodney's, which is the 80 series, uh, it's probably the uh, the 60 series. So it's probably FJ60 or 62. 
Yeah, I'd have to look it up again real quick. But that one's pretty common. I've seen like three yeah. or four of them rolling around. That's um, what I'm building actually right now. That hard body that I had from MFAB, that's the FJ62 Land Cruiser. Oh, okay. Yeah, then that's what it is because, yeah, because that one's a pretty common one. I've seen that, and the FJ40 is the two most common ones I've seen. Every other kind, I've been like, yeah, I've never seen that in my life before. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of them. And a lot of them are, the, the bummer is a lot of them are overseas, and we'll just never see them here unless you have the money and everything to import them, which is not cheap. So, the like the uh, my LC70, for example, finding one in the U.S. is pretty rare. Mostly found in, like, Australia, you know, so it's a yeah. bummer, but... Do you guys have, uh, like, EPA? Like, do you have to get stuff smogged where you're at? Uh, only when you buy stuff. After that, you don't have to do it until you sell the vehicle. Interesting. Yeah, see, we don't have anything in this particular area like Seattle does, but up north where we are, like, I have never had to get my truck smogged or anything like that. I was just wondering what kind of a nightmare, like, California residents would have trying to import one of those things and get it to pass smog and all that stuff. Well, we had the last Land Cruiser I owned was in high school, and the guy that bought it, he actually ships it from Hawaii to L.A., so he has to go pretty much, like, smog it and have it checked out every time. Uh, so uh, there are some funky things, but it just depends where you live. He He ships it back and forth, like... yeah multiple times like yeah he drives it here oh in God. our summer and then when it's winter he ships it back to hawaii and drives it there good god that'll get old wow. quick yeah yeah we, i feel yeah. bad for the salt water on the car oh my god yeah that's rough <laughs> wow i guess some people do anything for their vehicles yeah i can't say i blame him he did he did a nice job restoring it crazy Oof. Um. So, you're, if you were to walk into a hobby shop right now, what would be your next scaler that you would buy? Ooh. Uh. Well, I think I, honestly, I'd probably say the, the uh, Element Enduro. Uh, and that's probably because it's really easy to build on. Uh, if you've seen one up close, like everything comes off within minutes, and you can slap a hard body on there and get to building. And I find that really convenient, especially as uh, busy as I am these days. I don't have all the time in the world to, you know, sit there and cut up cars to make stuff fit. So it was kind of nice that all that stuff just comes off and you can have a clear chassis, you know, in a matter of minutes. Nice. And it's a good performing truck, you know. So, I mean, the overdrive out of the box is... Uh, it's pretty cool. I'm relatively new to overdrive. I recently did it to my bomber, and uh, it's been pretty cool since, especially around here, I find it really useful. So I, I think I'm going to start doing that to more trucks, actually. So. What's funny is that was like the go one of the go-to mods on top of adding or doing like the battery tray swap in the original SCX-10. That was like the go-to. Either people would do an overdrive in the front or they leave the front stock and they put an underdrive in the rear. Or if you're very extreme, you do an underdrive rear and overdrive front. But those people, we always said you, you're better off being out like on the rocks or in loose dirt or whatever because it's it's so um, like such a dramatic change uh, in gearing that you're gonna. I mean, the like on the street, the truck will like 
hop as it's yeah, driving up. Yeah, like, rap. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't notice it that much, and maybe it's because it's all in the transmission. Uh, but mm-hmm. like, and it's so minimal. Like, honestly, the six percent of the front on the enduro is just enough to help, but not enough to hinder. See, that's probably like I was saying, just running just overdrive in the front, like only doing one axle. What I was saying was when you do both axles, there's such a difference. That, yeah. 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 So I wouldn't do both personally. Like in my bomber, I ran just a little over in the front and left the back stock. So, and that's perfect. Nice. Um, and then last but not least, favorite hobby shop. Ooh, I'll be honest, I don't have one only because I don't live near one, and to me a hobby shop is not necessarily online, but back in the day it was uh, CKRC when they were open. Uh, they were the closest to me, and they were always really awesome when I went in there, this, you know, great people to talk to and just hang out in the shop. But uh, as an online hobby shop, which is where I get most of my stuff, I definitely have to say A-Main. Uh, they have had amazing customer service. I've had some kind of off-the-wall questions over the years, and they'll literally sit on the phone with you for 30 minutes till you're satisfied with the answer, you know. And they, they to me, they ship really quick because I live in California, so. But I'm pretty sure they ship that quick to everywhere. So, but definitely, amen. Nice. Um. Yeah. No, it's a shame. Um. If anybody listening knows my history with CKRC, that was a sad day. But it was like one of those uh, unfortunate, like, I always saw it coming. I, it was one of those things, you know what's going to happen, but you're trying to pretend that it's never going to happen. It's like, I, I don't know. I, the writing was on the wall for a long time, but it is what yeah. it is. No, um, but yeah, so that wraps up our little icebreaker questionnaire. Um is there anything else you would like to add right now before we get into whatever it is we're going to talk about? Yeah, I'm ready when you guys are. Okay. <laughs> so, how about this? How about you give us a little more rundown on, because it's a question I have, where did the name Snowmod come from and really what got you into wanting to create um you know the items that you're coming out with um all right well <laughs> let's see uh the snowmod rc actually came from uh, uh i'm a gamer also and when i have time uh and so my my nickname over the years became snowman and uh when i started kind of getting into 3d printing and stuff one of my friends one day made a joke he's like hey you could just call it snow mod and i was like well that's genius plus i love the snow uh if if you follow me you know i in the winter i'm up in the snow 99 percent of the time uh so it just kind of all fit and uh so that's snow mod rc um but what really got me into uh making stuff was I started out about 10 years ago. I, my first rig was a Wraith. And uh, honestly, it was terrible. <laughs> if you've seen pictures of it, I mean, it was hideous. Uh, you know, But it was my first truck, and that led to another and to another. And I got to that point where uh, I got super into scale. But the problem is I'm also a stay-at-home dad. And 
uh, I wanted to find a way where I could continue to do that and be there for my boys, but also do something that I love. Uh, so I started thinking of the things that I really didn't care for or the things that I was going through and f tried to find something that would last longer and still be affordable because I'm a budget builder. I don't have, you know, most of my trucks are built with as little money as possible. You know, I, I can't afford to go out there and just throw money at trucks. Uh, trust me, I wish I could. I think we all do. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so my first thing that I saw was the uh, ball, you know, the ball joints or rod ends, uh, pivot balls, whatever you want to call them. And uh, as we all know, you tear through those like it's going out of style, uh, especially if you crawl as much as some of us do. And uh, that adds up pretty quick, especially if you're changing them every couple months. Uh, so I got a 3D printer. A friend actually helped me get it. Uh, and uh, actually, it's the guy I built Trail Patrol for, the uh, Sheriff XJ. Uh, it was kind of a trade. He said, hey, I need a truck. And I said, hey, I need a printer. And so he's a friend of mine, so we worked it out. And uh, that printer was terrible, but it gave me the basis of what I have now. And about a year ago, I finally got a new printer, and I printed probably, I want to say, between 750 and 1,000 different versions of it before I actually got the exact fit that I wanted that fit across multiple applications. And so now you have snowballs. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about Jay. I know I have – well, and I'm sure you know, I have a couple um, sets throughout a couple of my rigs. Um, and I mean I put those on rigs that are stock as my deadbolt that literally have nothing – like there's nothing other than tires and wheels thrown at that vehicle. Um, but the snowballs definitely changed the way it crawled. And then I got other rigs like my black XJ that used to be the Cherokee. That Cherokee had, I want to say, two two axial fests on it, um, a uh, a Rubicon trip, um, crawl for a cure. I mean, that thing had plenty of miles on it, and those plastic um, balls, because that was a kit. Those plastic rod ends, they were completely shot. That thing was so sloppy; it wasn't even funny. Those really do change the way it works. It tightens it up, but it still allows it to do its job. So it's like it's hard to explain and put it into words until you actually see it or you understand, have it in your hand um, or whatever. Um, it's definitely something that I see being a game changer as, as far as with people that are still, I guess you could say, running relatively stock to slightly modified cars. Um I'll be honest, you, it's hard to convince those guys that run Traxxas rod ends because they just go, oh, the metal. But you could still metal on plastic wallow out the oh, plastic yeah. part yep. of... Well, and that's, that's the thing is, you know, it's not just about the, what the materials are. It's about how they interact with each other. And with snowballs, because of the material it is, it's abrasive resistant, it's grease resistant, uh, and it's a snug fit. So all the dust, it kind of squeegees it out of there as they are away from the inside of the rod end as they pivot. So it just it makes everything work a lot better and less friction, less resistance, so less wear. You know, and a lot of people don't realize that just a loose suspension actually takes a toll on your entire truck. <laughs> 
because your whole truck is shaking like a can of rocks going down the trail and you don't even notice it. Yep. Exactly. So, no, it's definitely a cool product. Um, like I said, I've got multiple sets. Um, and I think every every single set that I have, I think I had one of the original sets, not the uh, OEM style. Oh, the bushings? Uh, yeah. I, so, but I, I got to say, I think the OEM style are my favorite because I think I have the most out. I have the most of those kits installed, and they just pop right in. Very minimal effort assembling them, um, and yeah. Well, and you can't nice. destroy them. You know, you could squeeze the heck out of a plastic one, and it ain't coming back from that. You know, you squeeze the heck out of one of these, and it either compresses in the the rod end. But when you let go, it goes right back to its shape. Yeah. No, yeah, I definitely noticed that, um, which is also why you say in the instructions to when you're reinstalling them, tighten up just till it pretty much stops stop. or holds yep. it in place and then just stop. Because yep. you crank it down, you're going to squish it, and it's actually going to hold that squish the entire time instead of doing what it needs to do. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's where the, the custom fit comes in, and that's probably why they fit you stuff so well, is because if you do just give it that extra little turn, you can open it up inside a worn-out rod end, to a point, of course, you know, and uh, keep on going. Oh, yeah. Um, let's see. What else do you have coming down uh, the pipeline as far as products? Or is that uh... like... Um, or is that some hush hush <laughs> well, secret squirrel stuff? Well, you know, but <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it's uh, honestly there's a few things. Uh, one of the biggest ones I'm working on right now, actually, and I will reveal this because it should be pretty soon, um, is that I'm doing the same thing with snowballs, but I'm working on doing it with leaf springs. So there will actually be a semi abrasive resistant, you know bushing inside leaf springs instead of like a plastic sleeve for example like on the leaf siren it's just a plastic collar in there and those kind of wear on the screws over time uh you know and you got to replace them so that is one of the things i have the uh the slw hub inserts i'm actually working on more of those still uh behind the scenes you know um i've kind of released the original set but there is definitely more sizes coming down uh, and then one of my favorite things, which I'm looking forward to, uh, they're called snow boots. And it's basically a cover for, well, if you've ever driven, like, say, a bomber, anything with the AR-60s, and sometimes the SEX-10, the C-hubs and the steering, or the rear lockouts uh, come loose because uh, the threads and the axle housing, you know, get shot or whatever the case may be. And uh -huh. basically it makes it so that you can slide these over and hold all those screws in even if it's all stripped out so it holds the axle and the lockout and all that stuff nice and tight so that you don't necessarily have to buy a new axle housing or if you can't run metal axles maybe you know you could do this and hold your axle together instead of running metal you know that's really that's good gonna, idea yeah i was gonna say that's gonna be a big one because it actually wasn't too long ago off to patch this one over to one of the guys on our mks team uh he was actually saying the same thing he was like Oh, I got to order another set of uh, AR60 plastic housings because my um, the lockouts are all you know hollowed out, and I've tried or wallowed out, and I've tried to tighten it up and do this and do that, and um, that'll actually be I think that'll be another 
good one because there's a lot of people still running those axles. Um, they probably go into that problem all the time. Well, and I've beat online for a while now, and they've they've held up pretty good. I'm you know I have a couple sets out there uh, to my local guys so that I can you know keep keep an eye on them and see how they're lasting. But so far, the results are pretty positive. You know, and and one aspect I'm looking at too is you know helping out the ultra guys because I know they're uh, they're a little bit limited in what they can run. So maybe it'll help you know keep their cars together long enough to make it to make it to the end. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, very. So yeah, okay. Well, I was really all the questions I had as far as that. Um, I was always just curious. That was one of those things because like some people you can always kind of guess where like the names or something like that came from. But I always wondered where the snow mod came from. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's not that exciting of a story, but you know, it's uh, I like it. It you know took off and it let it lets me play around with stuff, you know, like snowballs and snow boots and you know things like that. It makes it a little more fun. Oh yeah. And the end of the day, you know, that's what it's all about: is fun with toy trucks. So. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. So Jay, do you have any other thing to put in on snow mod and what's going on? Yeah, um, what's, uh, with the scope of everything that you're doing, like, you know, because the 3D accessory market's kind of saturated and there's a lot of dudes, you know, making, like, ice chests and stuff, are you thinking you're going to head more in, like, the performance direction, or are you going to kind of try and do it all, or what? what's your what's your plans for, you know, your, your business with all that? Uh, I kind of, like, I guess I, you could say I have a little bit of a niche right now, uh, mostly because of what I print in. Uh, so I'm going to continue to keep using that material, uh, you know, to keep boosting performance and basically rig longevity so that you can spend more time on the trails and less time wrenching. And uh, I also do a lot of custom stuff too with that a lot of people just don't see. Uh, so I have a lot more I'm doing, but the mainstream stuff that people will see is definitely going to be more performance-based. Uh, like you said, the you can get an ice chest or you know a fire extinguisher pretty much anywhere right now, and uh, that's not what I feel needs to be done right now. So, you know, I would I just want to make sure people have something affordable, you know, and something that lasts, you know, and if. Like I said, I'm a budget builder, so if I can spend 20 bucks now and it saves me 100 bucks throughout the year, you know, that's that's a win to me. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. You know, it's I I really think you're onto something with these. It's well, it, I appreciate the that. performance is killer on them. The rig doesn't feel all old and blown out like some of my other ones do. So I I'm kind of torn though because you sent me that other set and I was gonna put them in the wraith, but then I was looking at that great curry jeep. And I was like, man, this really needs them more than the <laughs> wraith does. So that's probably gonna be the one that they're going in just because it's like you know you pick that thing up and with all the nice stuff on it. it still feels like it's gonna fall apart that's like not you know yeah not not a good look so well and i wanted more that. you know one-to-one -one performance you know a lot of guys are mm -hmm. just about super scale and a one-to-one -one suspension however weighted you know really doesn't uh i guess you could say move too much mm -hmm. you know it's really kind of fixed and you know the, the, the chass or control arms you know kind of twist and whatnot you know and so i just wanted to give that 
better feel on top of that longevity because i love my trucks now with the snowballs out on the trails because you you come up to a hole and it just kind of eases in there instead of all that sudden weight shift you know because yep. the whole front tire dipped down and you got you know heavy wheels or whatever the case may be you know uh and not and for the comp guys you know not rebuilding your truck every other weekend you know that's a bonus yeah exactly i mean Plus, it's kind of a bummer, you know, you, you get a rig and it, you know, it's all sloppy, like, yeah. right out of the box, so it's kind of kind of a bum deal. Are, is, is this something that you think you're going to start making for everything, like all brands that, at least all popular brands, or? Yeah, I mean, right now they fit pretty much everything, part right. of it, which is part of the design, but I would like to get a cut. There's a couple of companies out there that I haven't really gotten to test uh, them in for how they fit so i'm going to order a couple of their uh pieces and whatnot and try uh fitting them in there and see how everything goes but right now they pretty much cover anything that's got you know like a standard size ball mm-hmm. so and even stuff that doesn't have a ball you know like the upper shocks and uh you know what is it like a wraith or even the uh mm-hmm. pro line shocks stuff like that that's just kind of more straight through mm-hmm. you know it'll snug those right up and keep them from moving around yeah i think the only one that has that i know of right now that has really interesting like surprisingly smaller um pivot balls is the uh hpi venture that uh-huh. those those are super small compared to all the others like the diameter is the same but it's just they're they're not as wide as oh, like the, okay. the axial ones and stuff so if you try and you know, like for example, with that venture, when I did brass links on it, I had used Traxxas rod ends, and I had to get in with a file and like file some of the openings and everything so that I could fit the ball in. Well, see, that's good to know because that's the stuff I need to know. You know, so I'll right, I'll, right. I'll, I'll definitely look at getting some of their stuff and seeing if I can make a set specific for it. I probably have some here. The only that I could send you, but the only problem is, is that they're probably somewhat worn out. So I don't know how accurate a measurement that's really going to give you yeah it'll be all right (laughs) right on well then i will uh i will send those your way sounds good sweet yeah that's one thing i probably should actually throw a set of those in my uh quote-unquote cheater rig um and uh, because that rig's another rig i've had for a very long time but even with the um the metal ball end it's still pretty you know wore out yeah it doesn't take much cheater so, rig there's no cheater rigs well i call it that because <laughs> i really only call it that because it was it's an scx 10 platform but it's kind of set up more i guess you could say comp style like it is still a scaler, but what a lot of people don't realize is that cab is missing almost, I think, about an inch from the bottom of the door. I mean, that thing's completely chopped, so it would sit super low. Uh, it's got a ton of articulation. It's got a lot of weight in the axle, so it just kind of like – it's like Velcro on rocks. You just throw it there, and it kind of stays. So um, that one was very performance-orientated. So we nicknamed it the Cheater because people we'd be, we used to be at um, – the old uh, GSRCC Enduros, and um, the, I mean, it's, it was basically like a little, 
you know, trail run. Um, they'd have gates set up. And, I mean, people would be taking their rigs and they'd be stuck all the time or they couldn't make it around this or they couldn't do that. And we'd just kind of like walk right up it because, like I said, it was performance. So the nickname Cheater Rigs stuck and that's what we called them. I know. I just like giving you a hard time. <laughs> we've always called them that too like anything with an aftermarket chassis like yeah. i mean it, we're, we don't even like it's not like being malicious or anything it's just all our friends call them cheater rigs just because they well that, that's the best part though that one does not have an aftermarket chassis it's on a stock chassis did See, you get link cool. risers or anything on it or is it still all like stock geometry stock geometry nice that's fun sometimes because yeah. you can like see like exactly how well you can get something like that to work without you know dropping another hundred bucks on a chassis kit or more no the area that i kind of regret ish spending the money on was the knuckles in this and uh the season knuckles because i went with a company called um and and i know that the crawlers will know or when i call say crawlers like the comp crawlers will know this brand but there's a company called deluxe fab and i think they're out of utah mm -hmm. and they made these really funky um knuckles and they're basically solid brass or he, he'd do them in like like if you didn't want a ton of weight he'd split them like i think he did like brass on the bottom delrin on top or brass on the bottom aluminum on top or all delrin if you just kind of wanted his style but didn't want any weight and all this other crap but anyways he basically was building stuff for comp crawlers. Um, they were very expensive for what they are. I think I paid a little over, I want to say a little over a hundred bucks for everything shipped to the to my door. But um, they're basically just a giant brass weight with some. I don't even know if it's real carbon fiber or not. Um, steering tabs and arms, and they have like different setups. So like you can actually set the different arms on like the different sets of holes and it'll actually change your um your what is it your camber your camber camber whatever it's called um the, it'll basically change that so when you're turning it'll actually oh the caster okay caster it'll change it'll change all that so you can actually get the tires to roll in and out when you're turning so you get like better bite or whatever i don't know Mm -hmm. Yeah, it keeps it keeps like more surface area of the tire touching the ground by kicking out the because when you have them turned like at full lock, you can see it looks like it has camber, you know. Yep. But that's like your caster, and you can adjust that to where yep. like when you're side hill and stuff, it won't just fold over. Yep. That is a cool thing to mess with. I I did miss that with the uh, one piece AR44 axles. I liked being able to change a caster on the three piece ones. Yeah. Um, yeah, so anyways, that was like the only other thing that's really performance orientated on that rig. Otherwise, everything is just low. Tires stick out past the body. Um, it's got no, um, what is it? No, it's it, basically the drop off. There's no rear departure angle at all. It just is all tire. So, um, you can almost drive straight into a wall and go up. You'd, I just have to turn slightly left or right and it'll grab and go right up so it's definitely a performance piece but that's rad um what else there was another oh questions that's what it was i actually saw a question before we started all this oh um, yeah i saw one too and then i forgot about it in true jeremy fashion yeah <laughs> um 
And if I'm not mistaken, it was from Ryan Crowley. And he posted it because you popped something up. What was it? Servo winches. That was it, servo winches. Yeah. He, Because you know what's funny, and I know why he's on the servo winch kick, is because he's been he's been uh, messaging me on on Facebook. He's, you know, because he's also on the MKS team, so he's asked me if I've used certain servos to make servo winches, and I said that's the one thing I haven't done because I'll be honest, when I first got into this, um, and I think Brandon's been into it about as long as I have been into it, the servo winches were like a big deal back when... I guess G6 was really popular because you got points for using your winch. Like if you help somebody out, you got points. Once everybody kind of got away from that and it was more like fun run and just have a good time, this, the winches kind of like fell off. So I really haven't spent much time putting a servo winch in any of my rigs since then because never really stopped to use it. Um, but his question is, let's talk servo winch. Pros, cons, and what to look for in a servo when choosing one to become a servo winch. Thank you both for providing great podcast geared around the scale trail crawler scene. And that's Ryan Crowley. So, let's see. Um, I guess I'll start with uh, what to look for. Um, realistically, you just want to you want to decently. Um, you know, torque ratio or torque spec um, servo, I guess. Uh, somewhere, I want to say least, I want to say 200 ounces of torque because um, you got to remember it's not just turning back and forth. It's going to be a continuous with a line and pulling. So um, definitely I want to say somewhere around the 200 or more um, ounces. Obviously anything bigger is just going to be an animal and it's just going to be even that much torqueier. Um I do have to say, because I used to do it back in the day, um, build a couple of servo winches out of like, you know, um, RTR servos. Mm-hmm. Most servos have an internal stopper. Um, if you've ever taken one apart, the gear has like a pin in it. So when it goes all the way one way or to the left or right, it'll actually stop internally. And I know you had to pull it out or cut it, grind it off. A lot of people would take a Dremel and cut it smooth so that way it could continuously spin. So when you alter the the electronics in it or the, the, the board, you'd be able to get it to continuously spin. The cool thing, which I don't know if a lot of people know this, but MKS servos do not have an internal um, stop. So... Theoretically, one of those should be a good candidate for turning into a servo winch. I love because my you... MKS servo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I, this is gonna be a hard. You know, I know I sound biased because obviously, um, I you know run MKS and sponsored by MKS, but. Um, the ser- the servo in mind that I'm thinking of, the DS1220, has almost well, I at uh, I think it's six volts. It's got almost 400 ounces of torque or a little over. Um, that servo should definitely pull any rig 
out of any any situation, no problem. Um, you just really need like a thimble or something to attach to it. And I mean, I've seen people get creative. Um, they've used, you know, they go down to the like Joann's and they get a thimble and they mount it to one of the round servo horns and that's how they that's how they spool up everything. Or they go to like locked up RC and they buy the um, actual machine thimble looking thing for the servo winch and then you just um, alter the board uh, the easiest way I've seen is using something like a hey okay or if you want to bypass all that I've actually seen people use uh, which I've never done uh, the ESC to control it I want to try that really bad because that little Tekken BXR would be a sick little winch control see and a lot of people I guess if you have the room for it um, which I get like, you know, the, like the Tekken, the, that little Tekken would probably work or the, um, what's the one, Holmes Hobby's got a really small one too. Um, the BR Mini. Yeah, that one. Uh, you could probably use either one of those because the footprint of those are so much smaller, so much easier to put into a car. But when you use a speed control, you actually have more control with the winch. You, you're almost—it's just like driving the car. You can actually ramp up and slow down, so you're not just like all on or all off, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, See, yeah. See, and you can adjust that. your drag brake too, because if you adjust the drag brake, it's going to hold better. Because some weak winches will, you know, spool back out when you let off. True. So if you run drag brake, you're going to lock that thing in place pretty hard. Yeah, so Brandon, what were you saying right before oh, that? I, I said I want to try that now because I build my controllers out of old servos so for my lights and my winches. So I definitely want to try an ESC. I never really thought about that. I want to try yeah. the lights. Like I want to try using the servos for lights, like the boards. I've done them with uh, – I've you know done like those as winch controls like what you're talking about in the past, but I, I want to do one and just to have lights turn on and off. Yeah, it's really? the same thing. Okay. Now this is something I this is completely out of my wheelhouse and new to me. How do you use a servo to control your lights? <laughs> uh the I guess the easy explanation is you just take it apart, you know, and so you have the board and the motor and you can basically the best thing to do is find how you want your controller set up before you unsolder the motor. Because okay. once you take the motor off, you won't really have any sense, especially for lights, of what's on and off until you just sit there and play with it. Uh, so, anyways, once you take it apart, you got to get the was it the, uh, the potentiometer inside. You have mm -hmm. to center that dead center and glue it solid, and then basically put a once that's solid in place, you put a lead to your winch off where the motor was. So now. Or it's acting like a servo so when you activate it off dead center it is basically telling the motor to go but there's potentiometer is not stopping it because the gear isn't stopped by the stop pin that you were talking about earlier mm -hmm. so it, it I have a video of it on my YouTube channel and there's a bunch of videos on YouTube but it's uh it's definitely worth it because it, you know you recycle an old servo you know when you you take that positive and negative that would go to the motor don't can't you just that's what you run your lights off of, right? Yeah, exactly. So, okay. And then you just set your, was it third channel or whatever to, uh, you know, two, two positions so you have on and off. And as long as you have that potentiometer centered, it should work flawlessly. 
Interesting. I'm going to have to check that out because There's... that would make my life a lot easier with some of these rigs because I'm kind of lazy. I've done it multiple ways. I've had rigs where, like, for instance, um, oh, I took it apart. That was one of the rigs I cannibalized. The new Kaiser, all the rock lights on that, I had to a switch, which I mounted on the dash, so it just looked like a largely scaled switch in the car, but I just would go to, I'd just, you know, bend over, flip the switch, and the lights would come on, because I didn't feel like, you know, having to unplug something or whatever, and then, I'll admit, I've gotten lazier with the builds, so, um, as far as lighting goes, so what I'll do is, um, I just pretty much make pigtails underneath the body with Dean's connectors, and I go, okay, when I want lights, I just plug it in. Yeah, that's how a lot of my stuff is, but I'm, except I use, like, JST connectors because they're teeny. Well, that's what I've, I've slowly modified to because, like you said, the JST are a lot smaller. But in the beginning, it was like, oh, I got Dean's laying around or the, you know, Chinese knockoffs when you buy, like, the bag of 20 for, like, five bucks. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'd be like, all right, and just, you know, go from there, but... Yeah, no, the JST became the, my new, like, go-to for some of the stuff. Um, just because, for me, it was always hard finding a small switch that the tabs or the leads or whatever held up. Because I can't tell you how many... I mean, actually, I was just doing it uh, over the weekend. I was making sure the tow truck was ready for uh, Axial Fest, and I happened to notice one one wire was just dangling in, underneath, and I'm going... Where did this go to? And I'm following it back, and I finally realized one of my switches, the lead fell off. Mm. So I was like, well, there goes that switch. You know what I do for servo winches? It's, like, super easy. Is um, in there? I mean, there's, like, a lot of nice ones. You can get, like, the Hayokes, and what's the other one? K&S or something like that? Isn't that the other popular brand? K&S is a... Um, I have a couple of theirs. They have... They're basically the servos already converted into a winch and it's basically already has and i think he's like teamed up with mk or mks with hey okay and um he and i think that's how they have that whole thing figured out so basically you're buying with kns you're buying a servo winch basically ready to go you just have to say do you want two position three position and i think that's really all they offer i think they do offer a momentary but there's not a lot of remotes that I know of um, that you that actually have that setting. Um, I know See, I, Spectrum does because yeah, that's how I, I set up. I have a Fly Sky and it you can have it set up as momentary too. So like what I do is I run the Fly Sky radio and then um, you know because you can just give it a little bump here and there if you need to, and then um, I get the twenty dollar cheapy. Um, I think they say 20 kilogram or 25 kilogram. Uh, they're a red aluminum case uh, or aluminum center case servo off of Amazon. And the only reason why I choose those is because I took one apart once and all the gears were steel in it. It didn't have like the one plastic gear that a lot of people like to throw in and call a metal gear. But the potentiometer on that one, the the knob and the housing for the potentiometer are plastic and so when you do finally center it you can ca it in place and it'll stay because that's a pain in the ass like with with the tactic ones like the tactic 
yeah, like those work really good. Like that's a strong winch. I mean, yeah. I have a tactic one in the Curry Jeep and it'll lift the thing off the ground and it's, you know, like full aluminum axles and everything. But the weak link in it is that stupid potentiometer. And I've tried soldering it. I've tried CA glue and like nothing seems to really hold the metal ones very good unless somebody else has like a trick that I don't know about, which would be cool. I just use shoe view most of the time and just keep putting it on until it stops moving. <laughs> well, and then you can kind of, I have one that I shoe viewed, the, a tactic one, that curry Jeep. And like, I can kind of adjust it a little bit if need yeah. to, you know, since the shoe view is kind of rubbery, but it doesn't always stay put. Yeah. That's a great servo if you're looking to make a winch. And the nice part is it's all self-contained when you do it. So you don't have any of the nonsense with like having a bundle of wires somewhere. It's just a super clean setup that you can you know use and you have, don't have a lot of junk everywhere trying to you know take up space not not a lot of junk in the trunk no no junk in the trunk <laughs> <laughs> oh man um yeah uh so that was really our only question um and i think we pretty much covered it i mean you got a lot of options um and sounds like you can go check out um that's another thing too we kind of forgot to mention uh where we where like like let me read since i had a brain fart halfway through that um sentence the answer is b <laughs> it's b um brandon where can we find you on social media uh, I have Facebook, and that's just Snowboard RC. Same with uh, Instagram and YouTube. Yeah. So as Brandon was saying just now, um, he sounds like he's got some uh, good informational videos on YouTube, which we'll put on our page um, to kind of go over some of the servo winch stuff. So if you are listening and that's something you want to get into, and you're like, "Hey, yeah, I want to throw a servo winch on my rig." Um, you could probably tackle it yourself because I'm sure, you know, not everybody, but a lot of people do take, um, you know, RTR style uh, servos out of the rigs, put whatever they want in there. Now you either A, throw it out, or B, they try to give it to somebody else or sell it or whatever. And um, you can turn it into something useful. Yeah, I, I hoard them. All those RTR servos, man, I hang on yep. to them just because once in a while, if you strip a gear or something, you might get lucky and be able to salvage gears or a pin off of another set. Or I mean, I I don't know. That's one of my problems is I don't really throw many things away, but servos are one of those things that you can rob all kinds of cool parts off of them yep. for whatever you're doing. Repurposing stuff's kind of fun. Like That's a fun part of this hobby. Well, and it saves so much money. Oh, yeah, it, it adds up. I mean, can you imagine spending 80 bucks on a servo winch for each of your eight cars? Like, no. no well, and it's not too hard, you know. I see a lot of people uh, out there intimidated by soldering and stuff. And I'll tell you what, for anybody listening, just take it slow. You know, mm -hmm. don't be intimidated by the stuff you haven't done because that's where the real creation comes in. And so, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, go on a page, ask a friend, whatever. You know, get out there and make your own stuff. That's that's where the magic happens. And you know what? You kind of brought up something that I don't think we've ever really touched. You know, on this show at all is soldering. Yeah, yeah, that is a good skill to have. And it's not hard. People think it's harder than it is. I mean, the honest, honestly, the worst part about it is just 
remember where the tip is because yeah. getting burned by your soldering iron really hurts. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> uh, you know that's one thing that probably like ninety percent of soldering is having a good soldering iron. Yep. Yeah. Like those just plug in ones that are just all like shitty from Napa or Harbor Freight. Like just don't even bother. Like just suck it up, drop a hundred bucks and get like a track power or something like that. And I mean, I have one that's almost 10 years old and it's still going strong. So buy once, cry once, but it'll definitely make all your connections better and everything else. Cause most of those little irons don't get hot enough. Like they need yeah. to get up to like 900 degrees for them to work good. That's the one thing I don't have. I actually use just a, I have a Weller, I think it is, just a little old Weller standard soldering iron, and it takes forever, especially with that silver braided wire, you know, oh, trying yep. to heat that stuff up, it, yeah. you know, you gotta let it sit for like an hour to make sure it's at full temp before you can even attempt to do anything. See, the problem I had with my Wellers, I ha I went through three of them before I finally said, you know what, I'm gonna go buy a track power, um, because i the first three that I had, I don't know what it was. I'd always clean the tips, but the, I swear the tips would erode. Oh yeah, they, they do. Yeah, I was like, "What is up with this?" Like I've I had mine for a year, maybe, and I'm already been through a tip. Do you tin them when you go to store them? Like yeah. mine always has solder on it, no matter what. Like yeah, I mean, I try to get uh, at least most of it off, you know, but there's always a little bit left on there. No, I mean, I, I, like, keep the tip coated in solder at all times. Oh, I never thought about that. Yeah, no, like, that's the easiest way to keep the tip clean is always use the uh, wet sponge. And then when you're not using it, like, when it's sitting there after, like, okay, so let's say you use it and you go to put it back in the little stand or whatever. Mm -hmm. Make sure it's covered in solder. You know, like, melt a whole, like, bunch of it to where the whole tip's coated and then put it back because otherwise it's just sitting there cooking whatever is left on it you know yeah. whether it's the flux from the core or you know the metal start to turn brown and not be nice and shiny anymore so keeping the i think they call it tinning keeping the tip tinned is like super important on those interesting because what i typically do especially with my track power to put it away is after i turn it off i kind of like let it sit there for like 30 seconds because um it cool it i'm not gonna say it cools off fast but Quicker than you'd think from 900 degrees, though, huh? Pretty much. What I'll do is I'll take a wet rag, and while it's still pretty warm, I'll sit there and I'll just keep, you know, kind of like pulling the whatever's left on it off so it's like super clean. Mm -hmm. And then once I know that it looks pretty clean, then I'll take, then I'll get it wet and cold again, and I'll just grab the end of it because I'm kind of like impatient, and sometimes I got I want to clean my stuff up so i'm like all right cool this thing down so i can put it away and i've been doing that because i've had that track power for about three years now and i love that thing i mean i'm gonna tell you right now brandon you need to like save up or wait till they have one of those deals um because i think even tower or a main i think i think i've seen them on both of them they've had those deals where the track power pops up for like 70 bucks and dude there's another one that just came out, um, Speed Freaks, which is one of my customers slash uh, team guy that I sponsor. He has a, uh, it's a mobile hobby shop, but anyways, he carries one that plugs into your uh, power supply for your charger. So you're not, it's like a little tiny box, like half the size of a cigarette pack, and the iron plugs into it, you know, it comes with the iron, but like the actual control unit's like half the size of a cigarette pack, and it just plugs right into your power supply, so it's like even less obtrusive than the track power ones 
That's pretty sweet. And I want to say it's like 80 bucks too. It wasn't very much, but that's another one like to look at. But that only makes sense if you have a charger with an external power supply. Otherwise, you know, you're not doing yourself any favors. True. But the nice thing about a good soldering iron too is like when you're doing little tiny wires like for LEDs and stuff, you can turn the temp down so you don't burn all the insulation off of them, which is a nice (laughs) thing to have. Because that helps a ton. You know, I'll turn it down to like a quarter and do like those little tiny baby leads that are on like the JST connectors and stuff. Well, the other thing I, I really like about when you have something nice like a track power is you don't have to wait that long for it to heat up. You set the you set the dial to what you want it at, and as soon as the light starts blinking, you're ready to go. And it usually is like within a minute. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like under a minute and those things are up to temperature. It's pretty mind-blowing versus, you know, like 20 minutes for lesser ones. It, they're they're worth it. Like anybody that's on the fence, like you're gonna just do it. Get a good soldering iron, and you're gonna save yourself so much headache. And you're not gonna have stuff coming undone and everything else. Like it, it's just it it will make you sit there and kind of kick yourself for not doing it sooner because they're such a nice thing to have. Oh yeah. And then uh, the other items you're going to need with that, because I'll tell you this right now, and I can't tell you how many times, and I know people listening have done this too. Make sure you have all your heat shrink ready. I can't tell you how many times I've been been so excited. You're like, all right, let's solder this together. And you get it all soldered, and you go, where's the heat shrink? It's supposed to be on the wire. And then you're looking, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, crap. It's still sitting on the table. I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never done that. Especially on, like, Dean's plugs and stuff, because Dean's ones can be such a pain in the ass sometimes to try and solder or, like, hold so you're not burning your fingers on the plugs. Those Dean's plugs, they get hot really quick when you're soldering them, so... Like, if you don't have, like, a one of those third-hand things or whatever, you know, those cool little clamp thingies that move all over, like, that's another good thing to get, too, so you don't destroy your hands. Well, I was actually going to say my my trick to that, and I know it's not always ideal. It doesn't always work, um, but that's why I try to do a lot of my soldering outside of the vehicle because I'll use my vise um, with like a rag in the jaws. If depending on what I'm holding, like the Dean's plug, I don't care. I'll just lightly tighten it up against the plastic part so it's holding it. Then I got one hand free and I just kind of just solder it, and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, if you're doing like motors or whatever, you can even do that. Wrap the motor in a in a in a rag, throw it in the vise, so it just holds it there, and then you're able to just do everything two-handed, and you're not worried about you know everything moving around on you. Because the hardest part is doing it, and then letting you know, because usually you have to hold it and let it sit there and you know cool back down so it'll hold, and that's usually when you burn your fingers. You know what's funny, actually, and I just thought of this. This is actually good that I need to bring this up when you're talking about, like, burning your fingers and stuff. One of the most useful things that I've got for soldering is a set of hemostats because they lock. And so I'll, like, use those. I mean, they look just like a little set of pliers, you know, but they're medical. And so use those, grab the wire, lock it on, like, the first notch, and no more burning your fingers when you're trying to solder them onto ESC posts and stuff. Like, those hemostats are probably one of the most handy things that i have that i probably use that more than the third hand thing huh and they're that's, tiny and they fit in your toolbox so which is nice yeah that's it I, I never thought of that i always just you know burn my fingers <laughs> yeah no it's i mean because that gets old really quick <laughs> so See, you know I like you print i'm used to it <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness sorry i gotta take a second to stretch my back's killing me 
Oh, it's all good. Um, yeah, the other thing too, which I don't know, it's one of those things I always tell myself. I always go, yeah, I'm going to buy this, but I never really do. Um, they do make that um, soldering jig for like all the battery connectors. Like you drop it in, it holds it, and you can do all your stuff. It's like 45 bucks, 50 bucks. So it's like realistically, it's, I mean, yeah, it's expensive for what it is, but if you think about it, it's really not that expensive for being able to do all of these things with one tool. But I've just never really brought myself to doing it. I've always just made do with everything I have. Well, you know what's weird to me about those is so on some of those are made out of aluminum. I've seen some made out of like Delrin, you know, like machined out of Delrin. Uh-huh. And then I've seen ones that are carbon too. But to my knowledge, carbon fiber is conductive. And like you wouldn't want, you know, if you're soldering like, I, I don't know, like doing lipos and stuff, like soldering connectors on lipos, I mean, it, it, I, I don't know. It just seemed like a really weird thing because some of them, the way that I've seen like the Dean's connectors, like they kind of plug into it and it just holds it, you know? Like the plastic doesn't go into it, but like the prongs go into it instead. Uh-huh. And, I mean, that isn't going to work, right? If you're, you know, if it's carbon and it's conducting electricity, you're going to short the lipo out on it. Well, yeah, theoretically, because I was going to say it did take me a while before I finally was brave enough to solder a battery, but then you just got to be smarter than what you're working with. Um, Right. Cut off one lead at a time. Don't do them both at the same time, and wait till you have the other part soldered. Like, wait till you have the new lead halfway soldered onto the one that you just cut before you cut the other one because you don't want to be soldering and then all of a sudden accidentally one of them touches and arcs while you're in the middle of soldering um but yeah because i finally did that with um uh, my mini pro boat and actually that my yeti jr you have a boat a little one what a nerd i would I have never guessed boat. you had a boat okay <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that that's a real funny story. Um, back when I used to go to this – I wouldn't even call it a hobby store. It's a toy store, but they had a hobby section, like small section. They were trying to bring in like revenue, and they started bringing in the pro boats. And Michelle happened to go by with a, her dad one time because he – you know, wanted some, I don't know, some train or RC related. He wanted something. Well, she happened to be riding along, tagging along for whatever reason. And she saw the boat and she thought it was really cool. So she's like, you know, she's like, Oh, it's not that big. It's only like, you know, I'm, I'm saying it's like a six to seven inch boat. It's not, it's the super tiny one. And she asked the guy how much it was. And he was like, Oh, it's, you know, 80 bucks. So she was like, Cool. So she bought it and surprised me for my birthday one year. Um, I couldn't get the stock battery to charge to save my life. Like I don't know what was up with it. It was a. Um, I almost want to say it was the same battery that they put in the Yeti Junior, the Can Am one. Um, it's like a dynamite style battery with like the blue plugs, and it came with its own wall socket charger thing. And I could have it plugged in for four hours. I could have it plugged in for 12 hours. For some reason, you'd put the boat in the water. You'd give it throttle. It would it would just die, and then the prop would turn, so it would start, like, floating towards the shore. You're like, are you serious? So finally, one day, I was like, I'm just going to solder a Dean's plug and plug it into my regular uh, charger and see what happens. I did Ever since I did that, I get, like, 45-minute runtime out of it. 
Huh. Oh, no kidding. So, but, um, I'd, yeah. I'd get a boat, but I can't swim, and so trying to recover it if something <laughs> happened would be not cool. Yeah, that would be you need that's to get some that's why you, you put fishing line on yours and you have a lot of it and just don't go outside of your fishing line rope <laughs> tight, <laughs> tight it to your belt loop and then you could just you know drive around and then when it dies or you need to recover it you just reel it in or just swallow your pride and have some just any random six-year-old that can swim and not me go out and get it <laughs> yeah <laughs> And and on, I'll be honest, that's the only boat I have. Um, I, I did buy a, to I guess you can call it a toy grade boat that I always told myself I was going to put RC grade electronics in it, but I never did it. Um, I was walking through Target, and for anybody who knows me, I'm a big rock star aholic, like two rock stars a day. Um, I'm just big time rock star energy drink. Uh, they had a Rockstar Energy Drink wakeboard boat, but it was like a kid's toy. Like, you know, it had the little chintzy controller and all that stuff. I was like, I want to replace all that with hobby grade. So I bought it because it was on clearance for like 30 bucks. So I was like, all right, I'll buy it. It's been sitting in a box ever since. That was funny. <laughs> that would be a cool project, though. It would be, and there was a guy, which actually I haven't seen him at a lot of events lately. There was a there was a local guy to us. Uh, he was out of the Napa area, Fern, the RC guy, and he um, he did it. He went on eBay and bought I forget what it was, and he sent me all the links for it. It was some sort of cheapy eBay um, uh, jet motor. And I think you can buy that, and the ESC was like a hundred bucks, and then all you need is a decent receiver, and you have your own transmitter, and you're good to go. And I just never got around to doing it. You should do that. That'd be kind of cool. I've I've wanted to. I've it's one of those things because I when I was like super hardcore into the nerdy stuff, like okay, I got to recreate a whole entire scene. I wanted to build a trailer with working lights, back the thing down a scale boat ramp. Do, uh, launch the boat and then be able to drive the boat away. You still should do that because that's rad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like that sounds super appealing to me. Like that would just be fun. Yeah. I think you need to do it, dude. Uh, yeah. dude, dude. There's a lot of things I need to do. I got so many. I don't know about you guys. I got so many <laughs> unfinished projects that are like, you know, half at not half ass. They're just at the halfway point or a quarter way or just started or I'm still gathering parts and it's like where where do you draw the line of okay I need I need to just stop creating more projects and finish these <laughs> well, the problem with scalers is they're never done well they, that's like the same thing as your one to one they yeah. people say the same thing guys with a full built jeep oh are you done nope there's still something <laughs> they're going to do to it oh yeah you know yep. always so it's hard it's definitely hard, and I mean, anybody out in the audience knows what we're talking about. I mean, it's never done. There's always something you'd like to improve. There's always something you'd like to upgrade. Yeah, um, so I don't know. So that's my problem. I have, uh, and I've said this before. I got that half the or the rear leaf sprung conversion BPC chassis that's still sitting. Um, I've made no progress on that. Um, I got my forward motor. JK that's still sitting. Haven't had time to really mess with that. Um, 
what else? I got the UC Fab still collecting parts. Not even haven't even assembled anything. Um, yeah. So, do you? What about you guys? <laughs> oh, I always have something going on. Uh, mostly right now, it's just the uh, that FJ62 from M Fab I'm working on, putting that on a. I'm actually going to go a little bit different, kind of, you know, the down in Australia, they always do those crazy modifications to their, their one-to-one stuff. Uh-huh. So I'm actually going to put that on a uh, Gen 8, and then I'm going to leaf spring the Gen 8, so it's going to be portal to leaf sprung. Oh, wow. And because the body is massive, uh, it's like a, I think it's like a, a 338 millimeter wheelbase or something like that. Oh, wow. And so I think with the length and the extra ground clearance and everything, it'll offset itself pretty well. Or at least that's the hopes. And that red cat's a little bit longer than most rigs to begin with, isn't it? Yeah, it seems like it. I mean, I've never really measured it out, but yeah, it's it's a big truck, that's for sure. I don't think that it's longer. I think the body just hangs off the back a little bit more than most people are used to. Yeah, it does hang off pretty far. It's yeah. definitely a big truck overall. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's pretty much. Oh no, I'm working on the enduro too. I got the uh, LC70. I, I that was my old body. I forgot it, what that was even on back in the day. But uh, I'm working on putting that on the enduro. I filled in the back cab, uh, and I'm going to 3D print a custom bed for the back of that, so it'll look a little bit more uh, like something you'd see down in Australia. Uh, and that's about it. That'll be cool. That'll be really cool. Yeah, I wanted to go a little bit different. You know, the after all the years on the trails, I mean, anybody that's watched uh, my stuff for a long time have seen that thing get beat up over the years. So the bed was pretty shot, but the cab was still good. So I'm trying to find a way to repurpose it. That's Sweet. The, that's the one that you just got done putting, like, the back wall of the cab on, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Okay, yeah. No, it's going to be cool. Yeah, I'm gonna do like a ute bed on the back, so it'll be like a flat bed with a little like cabin in the on the on it with the flat bed behind that, you know. So you can put like the ice chest and stuff in the little cab on the bed. I actually saw a Toyota over on Whidbey Island across from us that a guy had like the. Um, you remember? Uh, it was one of the ones that got stolen, but Revis had a honcho that had like the flat bed and he had a canvas top on it and everything. Oh, yeah. It, it was done up like that. It was like the Mojave body style, you know, like the older Hilux. And it was blue and had just a little bit of a lift on it and had like BFG all-terrains and kind of an aggressive-looking bumper. But he had done a flatbed on it with a canvas top and stuff. And, man, that thing just looked – it looked really good. It, and it stood out, too, because, I mean, you just – you don't see stuff like that. I mean, up here in this area, it's like – Forerunner, 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 <laughs> Jeep, Jeep, Forerunner. So it, it was cool to see an Overland rig done up like that. Yeah, there's quite a few that are done up right. I mean, I'm I'm a firm believer of keep it simple. You know, simple and clean. You know, I don't I don't get too exotic just enough to make it look how I want. You know, because there is such thing as like too much. You know. Oh yeah, you can go overboard really yeah. easy, especially like. I don't know. I see them all the time where it's just there's so much done to it, and something's kind of to be said for less is more on a lot of these projects that people do. And I think that's why most of mine look so bare. You know, there is a lot of details, but you really got to look. You know, from the outside, they look just kind of like a you know a slightly modified 
stock rig rolling down, you know, that you would see cruising down the highway, but you start looking inside and stuff, you know, that's where all the details are. Exactly, yeah. Not so much just I bought every scale 3D printed or plastic item and zipped it, it to the... Rack. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. Like, some people go so overboard and, like, sleeping bags and stuff. It's like, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to go wheeling with my, like, foam mat and sleeping bag on the roof or you know yeah. like, that's gonna be in the, in the car yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i don't know some of that stuff's kind of funny but again like when you think about it though i mean we're all pretty fortunate because i mean like f- for the most part we sort of live in rural areas or are close to rural areas and we can you know go four wheeling and camping and stuff there's a lot of dudes that don't have that easily accessible and yeah. so when they build something you know, they don't know. They've, they've never been out, you know, four-wheeling a day in their life, you know. So it's, yeah, yeah. It, it's they're going to do it the way they think it would be done if, you know. Well, I think the other thing is the fact that, like, you know, you guys both already kind of touched on it. Like, when you go, like, realistically, when you load up your car, it's going in the back seat or in an SUV. It's going in the trunk area, you know, and any of the larger items that you know need to go somewhere usually go on the roof or whatever but i think because you're not with the scalers you're not really climbing inside of them you know people aren't opening the door so i think that's why they put everything on the outside so they're bringing their they're showing off that they have stuff to go camping or whatever but it's not necessarily where you'd really put it just because they're 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 trying to show you but without having like open doors and stuff so it's kind of like when people put their sunglasses on their hats yeah, well, like if if you're inside, you're not wearing your sunglasses, and no one will know if you have Oakleys. But if you have them on your hat and you're inside, everyone knows you own Oakleys. That well, what if, but, but what if you wear black flies? Because I wear my black flies on my hat. Does that make me like you know? We're gonna need to talk about this privately. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I get it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, well, okay, because because okay, I guess prime example is when I was running the hard the hard top on the black JK, I had all my scale accessories, my cooler, my spare fuel, all that stuff was all in the bed trunk area of the back of the four door, and when I had the topper on there, you kind of lost all of that. You basically right. just saw a Jeep, and that was it. Yeah. Once I took the top off and the cage was exposed. And you can see all the stuff in the back. It kind of like changed the look because now you're like, oh, look, all those little extra little things kind of add to the overall appearance. So I think that's kind of like what I'm saying. Like, right, right. You know, like, because look at some of the ones like even the Proline Forerunner body, that thing's completely enclosed. Unless you get down on your hands and knees and like stare through the window, you're never going to see all the stuff that you have in the back. So people start gluing it on the roof and. You know, or they that. don't have an interior to start with, and that's the only place to put them, too. No ghost exactly. riding your whip. Yep. <laughs> I'm guilty, though, but I try not to. I only have a Kmart, so finding a scale driver is really hard. Well, when you start getting like really into like a true scale driver, it does get hard to find um, you know, action figures that work because – um, even like uh, the Scale Builders Guild has gone over this like numerous times. Not all the wrestlers work because ninety percent of them are half naked, and the and Hot. like 
95 percent of them <laughs> um have or like muscle bound so yeah. it's like you know this guy looks like he just came you know like the incredible hulk and he just like blew through the door and he's like driving down the road or he's got some funky facial expression yeah or and it's, it's like painted or something Exactly, and so so it's hard. I mean, even though honestly that size works, I've used numerous wrestling ones, but I try to be, I guess, tasteful when I pick my wrestlers because I want the guys that are clothed, maybe not having some crazy facial expression. No speedo and... speedos and knee pads on four wheeling. <laughs> <laughs> we should start calling that the brand ambassador figure. <laughs> Well, actually, back in the day, I should find these pictures and post them on our page. People get a kick out of them. I used to tease. I used to tease people about that. Uh, I got this one wrestler dude, and he was in his speedo. So I posed him like he was like posing on the hood of the car, and was and I sent it to Elio, and it was oh we, my god, it was hilarious. <laughs> that's pretty fun. Yeah, that's... <laughs> there's a lot of good ones out there, but the problem is they don't articulate, and then you yeah. are chopping them up. Like the Harrison Ford, like Blade Runner one, that's a good one. Like or... I think it's NECA or Nezca or something. Mm-hmm. They uh, they make some good sized figures, but they don't articulate in the right spot, and so you got to like chop them up. There's that, and then the other thing too is some of those toys are expensive. Like for instance, oh, yeah. I, I went. <laughs> I went with um, uh, Drake from Uncharted, and I put that in my blazer, and that was like a freaking $35 toy. I'm like, yeah. geez, I said for a figure to sit in my car? The Opie from uh, Sons of Anarchy is a good one, too. Yeah. Well, that's I have a good one. Well, and that goes back to like the you know the, the, what we were talking about with the scale of details, but you know it, it's all about what you want. You know, some people are super goofy with their trucks, you know, and then there's other people that are super scale, you know. So, uh, I like you said, hopefully, I'm hoping somebody comes out with uh, you know some other drivers, you know, dude, nice with all the 3D printers. Why yeah, hasn't somebody exactly. yet? You know, like that. I mean, if somebody made one driver figure and just different heads or whatever, you'd and, sell a million yeah, of and them. and some little outfits, you know, like right. some pants and some shirts, you know. Well, then there was people like RC Four Wheel Drive tried that with those scale drivers, and they came with like coats and hats and whatever. But they whatever. were too little, though. Yeah, they're too. That's small. the problem. They were too small. But yeah, they're actually... all like five inch ones. Yeah. So. There was, and you can't find them, but there was one really good one that you used to be able to get, and they were skater figures, like figures of pro skaters, and they yep. had like hoodies and stuff, and they were the right size, and I think they were like, if I remember right, they were just bendy, like they had the wire inside of them, and you could like bend them to where they were, you know, in the correct position and stuff. They weren't hinged and hard plastic like a lot of them, I I believe. But if you can yeah. find those, those ones are bitching. I think. Uh, Brenda has one. Um, why am I forgetting her last name all of a sudden? Sumner. Yeah, duh. It's like right on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, she she had one with like a. She found an outfit that makes hoodies for him and stuff, and those were perfect. But I mean, you, you can't find them anywhere anymore. It sucks, but they were the closest we could get. Well, there was a. I know what you're talking about because I used to see a couple guys rocking those. Um, there's also, and I forget what it is. I found um, Scale Builders Guild gave it away in one of his videos. I think it's like 
classic TV toys or something like that or classic movie toys. It was some weird thing, and you can actually theoretically build your own person, but like you basically pick what size doll it is or toy, you know, six, seven, eight-inch figure. You pick what that is. Then you can actually pick clothing. They have pants and shirts. But then at that point you're going, I'm ordering a damn Ken doll. <laughs> yeah. Because you're like, okay, by the time you add everything up, you bought the doll, the head, the outfit. You're like, I got as much into this scale figure as I do into my electronic setup. Dude, it's nuts how some how much some of that goes for. Like, I collect Halo figures, and holy crap, the, some of them are like forty to sixty bucks a piece, and it's like the the price of some of that stuff gets outrageous. But th- here's the thing, like, okay, so you know, exclusive RC. Mm-hmm. he's made scans like he's done like solid 3d prints of people you know like scanned them and stuff like dan wilson from vanquish has a figure of himself like somebody's got to take that and just go the extra step and just make it articulate and you're golden actually you really wouldn't have to make it articulate all you'd have to really do is get like a generic because a lot of people are running half interiors and then the other half are running either three quarter to full interiors oh, i would honestly true. just I would honestly just get a generic, you know, arms forward, slightly bent, like you're holding the steering wheel, um, and then, uh, you know, chop it off at the waist or whatever, and then just make the head changeable. All you got to do is just pop the head on, and then, you know, you're making the same body, and okay, maybe you change it up so, you know, you got like a couple different tops to choose from, like a t-shirt, a hoodie, a jacket, and you're calling mm-hmm. it. That way you're, you know, because some of these people get too, like, I want to say that once you give people too many options, it becomes a headache when you're trying to do it. Right. No, you're exactly right. Just adds a whole other level of difficulty because now they have too many choices. Exactly. So, um, and then I, I would just go from there and then it'd be cool. But because I, I remember um, this had to be about two years ago. That was Elio's big deal. He was like, I got to get a scale version of myself, da 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 da, you know, and we're, but at the time, there weren't a lot of people with the scanning software. Right. They have software now. You can take the Kinect from an Xbox and turn it into a 3D scanner. Nuh-uh. Yeah. Really? There's, yeah, there's software for that now. That is incredible. That's one good thing to do with the Kinect because everybody quit using it for Xbox. Have you seen one in a night vision camera? It's just a bunch of oh. lasers pointing around the room. That's yeah, it looks cool. crazy. There's like yeah. dots and stuff. <laughs> But yeah, when it comes neat. to like the 3D stuff or even characters, there I was looking at a site recently called uh, I think it's called Hero Forge, and you can actually go through and basically like make your figure, and then you can actually buy the 3D file and print it. No way, really. So I'm wondering, I want to start playing with that and seeing if maybe uh, you know it's worth it to actually you know print your own you know because you could once you have the model you can change whatever you want. You can make it bend at the knees or whatever. Right. You know, and maybe just slide some pins in there or something. But yeah, 3D printing stuff that's coming out these days is really gonna. I'm hoping we'll start pushing things more useful our way. You know, like figures, for example. It's just crazy that nobody's come up with one yet, unless yeah. unless somebody's looked into it. And like the segment that actually wants driver figures is much smaller than we realize. You know. So, I mean, there's a lot of people that don't care. They just buy a truck and, yeah. you know, drive it, and that's it. You know, not, I want to say that's probably most people. 
But yeah. I even think for like, you know, it's, you know, scale, you know, obviously crawling is where we're into, but, you know, even the guys with like heavy equipment and stuff would probably. Oh, and the, the drift guys, you think the yeah. drift guys would be all over the figures and stuff and they're yeah. little like toy, like little hoe figures and stuff with the cars. And... <laughs> <laughs> It'd be so great. You've got like your little Subaru groupie girls, you know, yep. standing next to the drift car and stuff, just like in Fast and Furious. <laughs> Super sick. Wow. Well, I'm just saying, if you're going to go that far, you might as well do the groupies too. Full dollhouse. Yeah, full dollhouse. Yeah, full dollhouse. That has to be one of the best terms I've ever heard in my life. It totally makes sense, though, because I've had people go, you play with toy trucks? I'm like, yeah. You know, some people just don't get it, you know. Right. It's one of those things you kind of got to experience, but you guys know you put a controller in somebody's hand, within six months, they're probably own one. Dude, you know? yeah. <laughs> we, a really super, like, hardcore nitro buggy racer drove my 1.9 Wraith out at uh, Die Hard RC at the um, scale, <laughs> the scale course that we made, and he was just instantly like, I'm getting one. Yep. Like it was just is he he didn't even drive it like very long. I don't even think he was gone an hour, and he was immediately just like, "Okay, we're doing this." Me and my girlfriend both. It's literally like, a bug. You get bit by it, and that's it. Yep. Well, yeah, like, it, it was it crazy. Bites, it bites everybody differently, though. Like, I don't know about you guys. For me, it's the, I guess, the ease of being able to have so many different kinds of builds, like. I'm a big Chevy person. Like, if you actually look at my fleet, seventy to eighty percent of my builds are Chevy based, and um, I do have a somewhat soft spot for Jeeps. Um, and it kind of grew more after Michelle got hers. Um, and I'm talking about a real Jeep, not when she got her scale one. Mm -hmm. um, and then that's what kind of started the whole love for you know certain Jeep builds, but. I like being able to say, "All right, look, I like this blazer. This blazer that I saw online. I think the cage is sick. I like the style they went with. I'm gonna replicate that." Then you can go, "Oh, look, I like this pickup truck. They did a totally cool idea with this. I'm gonna replicate it, or build my own version." It gives me the platform of saying, "Hey, I got all these different style trucks." Because realistically, if I were to go build every single one of those as my real rig, it would never happen. Yeah. Right. Unless I'm Warren Buffett. Yeah, I mean, like, I know, like, I'm going to have my truck forever, and that'll probably be my only vehicle for probably a pretty good chunk of my life. So, for me, it's like, all right, well, I'm going to build an RC version of stuff I wish I could own, you know? And yeah, that's, I, th I think, like, kind of building, like, your dream cars is kind of half the appeal of all of it. Yeah. Like, we were trying to put our finger on that. Like, I did a podcast the other day um, with that guy Colin and my son Travis and it's like a racer oriented podcast but they kind of did like a scale episode and stuff and that was one of the questions that they gave me was like what do you think like the appeal of scale RC is and it was funny because it was really hard to like pick any like one thing and really put my finger on it you know yeah it's, that's a broad answer yeah it really is and like I, I I had told him I was like well you know I think for one like it's the fact that it's not a huge investment like going four-wheeling for real you know and like if you break you're not stranded anywhere or anything like that and it's not going to cost you a couple hundred to a couple thousand dollars and you can build like your dream car or multiple 
versions of you know all the different cars you would want and like that was the dream car thing was kind of like my best answer to summarize it you know because I think that's kind of what everybody does I mean it seems like just about everyone buys a rig tosses the body and then builds what they wish they had yeah true I mean that's one of my still you know I get I don't know end game I guess I'd like to eventually build a replica of my one-to-one truck because one they don't make that body so I've never I mean they kind of do I have it for my monster truck it's just a too long and B there's only so much you can do with Lexan Right. Um, but I'd always love to make a mid nineties Chevy, you know, just like my truck. Um, and that's actually, it's kind of opened my eyes. It was something I was going to talk about earlier when I was saying like, you know, um, you know, builds that never, you know, get finished or whatever. Um, I would like to get, I don't know if it, what is it? The, the TF2. I'd like to try a build on a TF2 platform just so I have a rig that works like a real, like a one-to-one rig. Like I think Ty was saying it on the last um, episode, you know, you have one that's full Leafs and you got a, you know, yeah, it brings a whole different element, you know, oh, yeah. it, it, it crawls differently. So I'd like to be able to do that um, with at least one of my rigs. So that way I could say, Hey, look, here's my, just like my real truck. And, you know, I can go out and beat on it and do things I wouldn't do with my real truck. Um, but uh, my battle would be finding somebody to replicate the body. Um, I have two people in mind. Um, I'd probably definitely give it to um, Westmade first. I'd ask him if he could do it. Just because if anybody's followed the stuff he does, it's people like him and Matt Kent that really blow my mind when they take a picture and they make body panels out of it. Yeah, that's just next level. <laughs> I mean, I, I like I said, maybe, you know, I'm sure people like ourselves can do it if we really sat there and messed around with it. But, I mean, the fact that they could just take a picture and say, all right, look, this is what the picture is. We're going to scale it into 10th scale, how much it would really look, and da, da 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 and then just go off of it from there. And they start making, okay, do this, cut this piece out, cut this piece out, glue it together, shape it, mold it, da 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 da, da. And then you're like, I hate you. That looks so good, and it looks so easy. But if I was doing it, it would look like a mess. And see, I don't even want to do it. That's the thing. It's like I'd like to have the end product, but like I'm not like – I'm like the destination guy, not the journey guy, you know, so I don't think I could sit there and do that the way that they do. Like, I just, I don't have the attention span for it. Yeah, my thing would be I'd probably be frustrated halfway through it is my problem. Yeah, it, it'd be hard without somebody looking over your shoulder to tell you what to do. I mean, it's like you can get a lot of info from YouTube and stuff anymore, but I mean, still like having like someone that has working knowledge of something is still definitely the way to go especially on something that intricate and detailed yeah so that's definitely something i was actually gonna that was what was bringing up this next point i was gonna say jay you should um i don't know if you you don't follow him you should follow him and check out his latest build i think you get a kick out of it he's building an ifs f-150 oh rad uh alex vanderbrink um yep torque darcy media yep really wow yes that's sick he bought i forget what rig it is but he bought one rig just to cannibalize the ifs and he grafted it into the front of his scx 10 and it's turning out 
Sick. Yeah, I was going to say, you need to, do the, you need to do the same thing and wrap it just like your real truck. You know, it's funny. It Die Hard the other day when I had the booth out there. Well, I guess this would have been over the 4th. I had so many. Well, and actually at the uh, Boys and Girls Club thing, too, so many people are like, how come you don't have one that's a replica of your truck? And I didn't have a good answer. <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, Proline has some stuff that's close, but not that same body style. You can find that F-150 in a new bright, maybe, you know, but I mean, that's going to be hard because it hasn't been made for years and years. But I don't know. That's the thing. I don't even know if I would want to, though, just because, like, I look at my truck and I think, dude, that thing would suck so bad to try and drive on trails. Like, I think that's why I've never considered that as a build, you know. Well, it's just a straight trail truck, you know, mild, just cruising. Like I got yeah, a it'd be for rigs. burning fire roads and that's yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> but if you think about it, some of the stuff, well, I don't know about up where you are, but like Crawl for a Cure, some of the um, trails that he sets up are like what you would actually do in your real truck. You're not going up like, you know, the V-Rock with like, you know, the three-point turn at the top that you got to rest a slider against it's you know it's a lot of just trail little off camber here and there and maybe a little obstacle but some of them that he does up there they're like they remind me of fire roads they're like a fire road trail which i think is kind of cool because you in my opinion you don't have to be like trying to like traverse a you know some mountain every time you're yeah you know yeah no exactly and that was one thing with the course that we made we like we did like scale gravel roads with street signs and stuff on it and honestly i think people had as much fun driving on the gravel road parts and taking pictures of those as much as they did driving over actual obstacles yeah yeah my fj40 doesn't go much more beyond just a mellow trail i mean i've taken it on some stuff but you know it's just it doesn't have the same flex and suspension as some of my other ones well, and the consequences are so severe if you oh, run yeah. that thing off That's... of, you know, a 10-foot drop oh, yes. or something. I would it... cry. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's... <laughs> There's some stuff you just don't beat on like that. Like my Knight Customs Jeep with all the 3D printed, you know, body cladding and fenders and stuff. Like that thing is like pretty much trail only. Yep. It's not serious stuff where you start breaking things. Yeah, we all – and I think that it comes with like owning multiple vehicles or even your one vehicle. There's some people, they will run their one vehicle like they stole it. They will squeeze it in places it shouldn't go. They'll <laughs> drop it off ledges yep. that it shouldn't drop off, and they just keep going. Then there's other people that are like, yeah, no, I'm not taking this to that. Oh, yeah, we've had guys at comps that are, like, full-on, like, they're not going to let their rig roll over. Like, they don't care what the rules are. They're going to catch it with their hands. Like, you know, they're just not going to let it happen, which I get it. I mean, it's just I, – I totally understand, so. Yeah, no, I get it, too. I got a couple rigs that are like that. My yellow blazer is one of those only because I fear that that cage won't hold up to what – you know, it looks all burly, but it's – that one's made out of tube, so. Oh, yeah. And trust me, I've seen what Tube does on first hand. Um, uh, I'll never forget. I think Brandon was there for that year. It was one of the last years we did the um, Cantina on the Con. Uh, and um, he had his Bronco, the green Bronco with the cage, the black cage. And we're going across this one area, and he was trying to 
he was trying to get over some little crack that was in like oh basically it was like a it was weird it was like a crawling on a a wall like a two foot wall it would you had just enough you had to straddle it just right otherwise you'd fall off it and you'd drop like like I said like two feet and he was doing it and all of a sudden it starts going and you know when you get that oh it's starting to go so you just for some reason throttle out just to like right. like, like it's gonna make it any better <laughs> and. He did that, and the thing just boom, and the whole cage shifted over a quarter of an inch. Oh, sad. Oh. So, so he just starts laughing. So, I mean, he fixed it. He he put it in the vice, and he straightened it all out, and you know. But it's like that's why I'm kind of like I don't want to have to go through straightening out the cage and all this stuff. So I said I'm just not gonna let that one. Work. You know, it's funny. Danning the tubing too. That exact ledge is where I decided that my LC70, I really didn't care if I scratched it anymore. Yes. <laughs> I yard sailed everything out of the bed all at the bottom of that same exact ledge. Oh, no. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, it's it's funny what some people do with these rigs. Yeah, I just, I don't know, I'm always under the philosophy of, like, you know, you take care of your stuff and it'll take care of you, you know? Yep. Oh yeah, that's a good. I, I have a hard time just going out and trying to destroy something for the sake of just being rough on it. Like I see people do that, and I'm like, oh god, no. Well, it, well it's that's when the we'll call it the uh, improper information comes out. Like you, your your experiences are relative to how you drive. You drive scale, you get scale results. You bash, you get bash results. That's I mean, a really true. good way of putting it. Dude. I mean, it's really simple, you know. Yeah. That's probably the best way I've heard that summed up ever. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it's totally accurate, you know? Like, there's dudes that just don't care, and, like, they'll get on Facebook and, like, you know, have a laundry list of all the shit that they broke that day, and they're just pumped on all the stuff they broke, you know? Well, and it's toxic, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I agree. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's just not for me. Like I never even bashed. Like I skipped that whole sick, like yeah. that whole part of RC. Like we went straight to racing, and that was pretty much it. Like I never really crawling was my first experience. Like just playing, you know, like having fun for the sake of having fun, you know. Yeah, I'd I'd have to say the same thing. It's been pretty much just crawling. Um, I never really bashed any of my cars, and I think that's part of the reason why I have a hard time taking out my monster truck because it's like. Every time I take that thing out and I kind of let loose with it, it breaks. And But, yeah. you know, if you think about it, what do real monster trucks do every time they let loose? They break. So yeah. it's like, I don't know, and it's like, oh, I just don't want to – like in my mind I go, I just don't want to have to fix it. It's so like I usually, 99% of the show, you know? <laughs> <laughs> True. But it's like I just like go. Oh, I don't really want to have to fix this. So I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to – I'm not. I'm just going to go out and play around with it and have fun. Yeah, that was a. Those were a cool truck to even just mess around in your driveway or just light playing with, just because it behaved scale. Like it was a scale monster truck. You know, it's not a, you know, tracks a stampede or something where you can just throttle the crap out of it and it's not gonna break. Like the axial one. Like what was sick about that was just like how it behaved. You know, and like that yeah. was that was the appeal of that to me because I didn't get the thing you know, thinking, all right, I'm going to get this Axial monster truck and I'm going to, you know, go jump it out in the street over passing cars or something. You know, that wasn't <laughs> like my thought when I got that thing. It was more like, dude, this thing 
like looks and acts real and it like dives when it's under braking and squats when you hammer the gas like this is cool you know and that was it was just like for me all the enjoyment was watching it do its thing you know yeah i get what you're saying i mean because like the first thing i did was when i brought mine up to ckrc the first time i really was like all right yeah i'm gonna bash this thing around i'm gonna have fun i'm gonna let loose and i just put the um the proline destroyer tires on there and i started telling people there's a reason why they call those tires a destroyer they freaking destroy your rig yeah. i mean they're so wide and heavy i mean the With first a thing massive I did, offset too that's so much leverage on your stub axles Oh, that's what I'm saying, and that's why it's funny when you watch some of the stuff. Like when they when they had released their Proline video on YouTube, I'm like, okay, they jumped it and landed, and the things in one piece. I was like, I did that same thing, and my wheel went flying. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's where like those like extra speed like pot metal axle housings, you know, like the AR60 ones, like the, any of those like Chinese brand metal axle housings would have been sick on one of the Axial Monster trucks because then you're like a little bit more bulletproof, you know? Yeah, I guess because my problem was, at least with mine, what were the axle shafts, especially with the Destroyer tires, but John Schultz actually, when I talked to him, I think later because that was just before Axial Fest, and I had to get it all fixed up again for Axial Fest. Um, I was talking to him, and he was like, there's a reason why we stuck with the tires that are on there, because they they make your rig last the longest. They still give you the scale appearance. They still do everything they're supposed to do, but you're not destroying your rig. Because I thought those were an appropriate size, too. Like I thought they, they are nice. I mean, they myself, are. but... No, they do, and I agree. And so after that, I got rid of my uh, Proline ones, you know, unfortunately, because like I like the tread pattern and stuff on the Destroyer, but the the offset and just the weight and the size, it was just too much. Like it was just yeah. too much for that rig. And yeah, so I just went back to that, and I mean, it's been more durable since then. It's like you can have a little more fun with it. Um, going to brushless with those Destroyers were probably not the smartest thing. Um, I'll never – that was a funny day. We're up there. I'm playing around with it, you know, on the brushed motor and everything with just the wide tires and jumping it and all that. And it was, you know, acting like a monster truck. And then we're like, well, we're at CKRC. Let's let's throw a, a motor and speed control in it and, you know, let's have some fun. So we threw in a, a castle setup for a short course, I think. And, yeah, first jump we went off lands you watch tire boom launch and i'm going are you kidding me oh that's such a bummer like it just ruins your fun so quick (laughs) and then and then we fixed it and then uh i and then i'll admit i'm not the greatest driver at fast because i've never really driven fast cars i have my slash but i don't even really touch that so i'm not i don't have a lot of time behind fast rigs so I was like, all right, Ely, you drive, I'm going to film. And then I, he was driving it, and even after the third or fourth jump he did, you, he bent the rear axle shaft, and you can watch that tire was just like, whoa, 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 the whole time. And I was just going, any minute now, this thing's going to come freaking apart again. Yeah. So. It seems like the solid axle monster truck scene's kind of slowed down a little bit. I, I, I think especially with drag racing, like drag racing – kind of like is the new big thing and now we don't hear about monster trucks quite as much 
Well, you know what's actually funny that you say that, and maybe we'll have to get one of them on here one of the t- one of these times. Um, in the Reading area, it is huge. Oh really? Oh yeah. See that? Um, I I do that. Like I mean, I if we had something like that around here, I'd build like a tough solid axle one for something like that. Well, see if I if I was closer, I'd participate more. And I've told that because, you know, because Chris Prestwood's asked me numerous times, hey, why don't you come up and crash at my place and go to the event? And it's like, I would if it was a regular RC event. I just don't have that interest to do it just for a monster truck event. Well, and then plus the money you'd have to dump into yours just so you could finish a run. That too. I mean, um, be, that's disheartening in itself, you know. But yeah, but yeah, all those guys up there do it. The whole like most of the Reading scene that I know, there's at least twelve to fifteen guys that are in that whole like that you know scene, and they all race each other. They all do their thing, and I mean it, they've had some pretty decent turnout and you, decent battles going. And they I, actually. Have, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh no, I was just say they actually have different classes. Like they have like the 2.6 tire class. They have the 2.2 tire class. They have the stock class. They have. I mean, they actually have a variety of classes. And some of these guys have two or three monster trucks. I saw a picture of a dude that had an enclosed trailer, and that thing was fully decked out in different monster trucks and bodies. And it was like, you could tell like this dude was serious about monster truck racing. Like it was just. I wish I could find the picture because it was pretty mind blowing the amount of stuff the dude had in there. Like all. Oh, the I walls, believe it. All the walls were just rigs hanging on the walls and stuff. It was pretty cool. Oh, I believe it. Now I wanted to ask you guys, um, and this is kind of shifting the subject a little bit here, but you know when we were talking about like what the appeal is of scale RC and stuff, like you know it's funny that, and this is probably second on my list next to like tinkering with them and building you know cool cars is just being outside i think that's the other huge draw for me at least you know like i just it's a good excuse to just be outside and like smell the forest and stuff and just enjoy your day and you know it's just i don't know it's it's a nice escape i think that that's something that i really haven't like pitched to people when i'm trying to sell them on scale rc is like the outdoor aspect of it yeah, that's another big one because, like, if you actually have been looking, because I know there's a lot of people, and I do admit it sucks that Axial Fest is not at Cisco, but you know, try to make lemonade out of lemons. Um, and Donner itself is another pretty area to go scaling. It's you know, it's similar trail or similar um, rock formations, and you still get the tree lines and all that stuff. So I don't know. I mean, being outside, yeah, I like it. It's it's pretty cool. So, um, you know, being able to be in the Sierras, because um, that's really the only place I've really crawled is in the Sierras, if you think about it. Um, whether it's been Cisco, whether it's been um, up by, uh, you know, even Folsom's somewhat in the Sierras. Um, it's not in the mountains, but it's in that area. Yeah. Um, Rollins Lake, that's been that's the Sierras. Uh, the place in Pioneer where Crawl for the Cure's been at lately, that's in the Sierras. I mean, everything's pretty much in the Sierras. So you're 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 gonna get a lot of the similar, you know, aspects and terrain 
but it's going right. to be slightly different just because of the ranges that you're at. If I live down there, like close to that, like it wouldn't hurt my feelings at all if that was the only place that I had to crawl out. I mean, even after the crazy stuff that we have up here, like still like all the trail stuff at Axial Fest and that area at Cisco and stuff, like I'd be totally content living close by to that and having that be like my, you know, location where I spend all my time at. The Sierra has just changed so much. Like the difference between here and like Cisco is night and day i mean it's i could count probably 20 different terrains in, in that five hour drive and it's all in the sierras yep you've posted some pictures of like some like almost like high desert looking spots too oh yeah well like where i live it is high desert oh really like, literally f maybe five minutes outside of town boom i'm in the sierras so no kidding God, that's rad because i've i've noticed like a lot of your pictures look like you know you're like out in the desert like in arizona or something like man that's really cool with all the sand and everything like it looks rad but dude if you've got that and like trees and everything else close by that's pretty epic yeah i have a couple lakes rivers you know i do a lot of one-to-one -one off roading into the backcountry and stuff so when i get up in there you know you find even more than what you just see you know driving down the road yeah the closest thing to me is just like there's some hiking areas here on the island, you know, but like to go to anywhere awesome, it's like an hour, hour and a half. But like here, if you want to find something interesting, like you look really, really hard for little like game trails and stuff and just take off and follow a game trail and see where that takes you. Because some of that stuff can be kind of fun, too. But I think the game trails are like around here, you know, we have to be careful because, you know, forest service and stuff you know we don't want to upset anybody right uh, you know but most of the hikers like because we use a lot of the hiking trails around here because they're just awesome you know mm -hmm. and it's it feels like such a waste to just not take a rc car with you oh yeah exactly uh, so you know most people are pretty cool about it but they're you know we run into the people now and again where they just you know they kind of give you the eyes they walk oh by, like, yeah what are you doing that. up here but at the same time like we're just enjoying the outdoors, you know, just as much as they are, just in a different way. We had somebody kick a club member's car over at hiking one day at a high traffic area. Oh. Like, the guy, the guy walked up and, like, just kicked his car over, goes, oops, and kept walking. Yeah, I bet that went over well. Uh, you know, <laughs> normally the dude probably would have freaked out, but I think he was, like, in shock that it even happened. And oh, just yeah. And didn't have a chance to react, because, I mean, that... Yeah. I mean, I... I was kind of beside myself too. I was like, "Whoa, really? Wow, that's that's bold." Yeah, yeah. You, you get the stink eye once in a while from people. I've noticed that, but I would have to say that like almost all of them though like have something positive to say. Yeah, There's very few that don't. Well, they've never seen it. You know, I've had plenty of families hiking just stop me and chat my ear off for like an hour. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> talking about you know why and what and where and you know. Next thing you know, you probably see them out somewhere driving an RC car. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's we, crazy. I usually hear the most common one I hear is, how much is that? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, and so, when, you, when you, like, total it, like, I pretty much only quote people, like, RTR prices yep. now, because otherwise it's going to scare them to death. Yeah. You know, like, look, what, so how much something like that run? I'm like, well, to get into this, you would spend anywhere from 250 to you know four or five hundred you know like i kind of give that figure i'm not like oh yeah this one's probably about 1200 you know they're like oh god you know yeah so, yeah I, I, 
for the sake of like trying to be an ambassador for the hobby, I just <laughs> quote RTR prices and that's it. Well, and then you get you either get those guys that ask how much, or you get the other one that asks how fast, and you're like, that's the wrong question. Oh yep. yeah, <laughs> yep. We had a lot of kids asking how fast they go and do they jump at the uh, seminar the other day. So yeah. that's kind of funny. It's like, no, no, that that's not really what this is. This is different. This is how slow you can go, and yeah. you're kind of like, huh, what? Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Um, I'm gonna say I'm just gonna bring up one last little thing because I think I mean I could be wrong. I'm looking at the chat timer on our thing and we're at two hours. So I are we? Is that really where we're at? Yeah, close yep. to you. Wow, you're, you're correct. Time flies when you're having fun, man. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, um, for I guess for our listeners' sake, we'll uh we'll just wrap this up real quick. My the only thing I was gonna bring up, and I think it's kind of a cool thing to to close on. Um, you know, not all of the RC community or the, or the scale crawler RC community is, you know, come from a one-to-one -one background, but a lot of them do. I would like to start seeing, um, some more people get in, like, I guess, bridge the gap or if that's the way to say it with like the one-to-one -one groups or clubs that are actually trying to preserve trails like for instance i know jake i came to you about that corvus sticker mm -hmm. the california off-road vehicle association yeah um they're actually doing a lot right now if you live in the state of california um and you you know and you're into four-wheeling or you're into even dirt biking you've probably heard of this but they were threatening to close down oceana dunes which a lot of people if you ever heard of the name Pismo, that's Pismo yeah. Dunes. They were gonna they were gonna close down, and Corva fought tooth and nail to keep it open. Dude, that's and, so gnarly. Like, I mean, I it's awesome that you have advocates for something like that. But as a like stark contrast, up here there's a four by area. The state brought equipment and rocks in to make it better. Like, it's yep. 180 degrees from what California is. Like, California, like, I mean, it, it's good to have organizations like Corva and stuff, no matter what, and have advocates and lobbyists for the off-road community. But, I mean, it's, man, the stuff that you guys have to worry about there versus here or even other places in the country is just, how can it be so different? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because, ultimately, and I don't want to get too political with this, it has to come down with the state and wanting money. That's really what it comes down to because the state doesn't want anything where people can go and enjoy their time if they're not getting – if they're not reaping their reward. Um, you know, Prime example happened with an RC event um, that we did back in March. Um, I think I've, I've went over this. Uh, Chris Prestwood, SBC, held his annual get-together, and that's what he calls it because he doesn't charge anybody any money to, to do the event or um, to participate and he uh, and he always has it at Folsom well due to the high water levels we had to move it from where we normally have it from 5% beach to um, I can't even think of where it was where we were at um, Dotton's Point uh, or Beals Point sorry we were at Beals and um, we were maybe 20 minutes into the event and there's got to be three to four hundred people there and 
Um, or actually, that might have been a stretch. 200 people. Um, and all of a sudden, the ranger pulls up and is like, where's your permit? And you're like, are you serious? We're all just here having a good time. We're not like here having like some big, you know, rager party where we're trashing the place. We're going out playing with our cars, you know. And the, and the guys, basically the ranger was giving us crap going like, well, you guys need to either pack up and get out of here, you know, or, you know, you're going to get fined or, you know. And we we're kind of like, well, fine. Then if we leave, are you going to refund everybody here their entry fee? Yeah. And he kind of like didn't know what to say to that because if you think about it, it's I think it's twelve bucks now to for a day pass at Folsom Lake. Mm-hmm. You times that by let's say even a hundred people, that's twelve hundred dollars. Yeah. That you got to give back. Yep. They just like, ran off. Yeah. So they're like no, but at the same time, they're still trying to run you out of there, even though they don't want to give you your money back. And that, but that's what I was saying. That's what it's coming down to in California is they still. They want you to be able to – or not – they don't want you to, but they don't mind if you do what you want to do, but they still want their piece of the pie. And that's what's starting to hurt everything because there's – like I said, Corva, um, Cal Four Wheelers, they're all about um, – and even the Rubicon Trail Foundation, they're all about preserving you know, these trails that one-to-one you know, wheelers use. I would like to bridge that, that gap in that knowledge into the RC community and kind of show awareness um, that, you know, some of these places that we, you know, crawl at are some of the same areas that are used by one-to-one people and you need to, you know, respect those and just kind of like have awareness in what's going on. So I'd like to be able to start getting some of those um, big-name companies and see if they allow to make some scale stickers that you can hand out at events so more people are getting informed. Because I guarantee you, even if you're somebody who isn't a wheeler, like you don't go out four-wheeling and all that, you get behind some of these um, organizations just because of what they're doing to allow people to go out and have fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, the the sad thing about this is, though, that and I've kind of encountered this, I think that the majority of the RC community is just going to be too lazy or don't care. You know, you'll have the few guys like yourself and like me that actually care about stuff like that, but the rest of them don't. Like, for example, we had a... uh, We were up one day and had just a club get-together, like a crawl, and there's a little bit of a parking lot. Well, a couple of the kids in the club got their bashers out, and this, this area is, like, very, like parking is like a, it's at a premium there like there's just a handful of spots and it's a very scenic viewpoint with a lot of trails and stuff and there's a lot of traffic in and out of there on the weekends and these guys were you know like doing cookies until the thing flipped over and you know like trying to jump stuff and crashing into things and holding up traffic and stuff and it made me bring up the point of you know hey guys this is not what we want to project to the public when we're using these public spaces, you know, bashing and stuff like that. You can go do that on your own time at a school, whatever, you know, wherever you go, skate park, whatever, go do that there. But when we're up here as a group and 
we are being representatives of that group and we've got people that want to park and camp because there's guys acting a fool you know doing cookies and stuff and plus it's noisy you know like some when they're crashing into stuff and everything it's loud and it's obnoxious and people there trying to enjoy nature and i think scalers get away with it because they're very very quiet and you don't really notice them you know and there was dudes in the club that just flat out didn't get it like full-on like sold their shit and like all right i'm out i'm over it you know too much drama i was like how do you not understand this like all it takes is a couple people pissed off calling the police or going down to the ranger station and saying hey these guys up there we can't park because they're screwing off and driving cars and crashing them into stuff and everything and you know not you get one or two instances of that and that place is going to be shut down to us well yeah you gotta you gotta go out and just always assume somebody's watching dude these yeah and that's just it these guys did not get it like one person in particular like he ended up like selling all his crawler stuff and getting out of the hobby because of that like it didn't it for whatever reason it did not register him that you know hey your behavior could upset the public they could complain and then we don't get to share this space with them anymore yep totally didn't understand thought i was just being a dick for the sake of being a dick yeah all it takes is one and uh, unfortunately i see a lot of people that kind of have that same like don't care attitude in scale rc because they don't a lot of guys don't come from a racing or any kind of like competitive sport or you know where they understand sportsmanship and professionalism and presentation there's a lot of guys out there that don't get that and you know unfortunately that few that don't know how to act can screw it up for everybody well, and it, you know, and at the same time, you know, it's up to a lot of the people in the hobby to set the positive example. So hopefully they get it, you know. Yeah, it's just hard. Like, it's hard to try and enforce that and be, oh, like, yeah. the, be the bad guy and, like, address <laughs> the issue with everybody because then you're a jerk and everything else, you know, or you're too uptight. And it's tough because they don't see things yeah. the, same, the same way. It's really hard. And it's hard to get other people to buy into that. But I, I agree with you 100%, Adam, that I think it's necessary. It's just, it, it that's not going to be an easy task. I mean, about all you can do is try and spread awareness, like what you're saying, and, you know, have pamphlets out at meets, and, you know, at swamps <laughs> and trail runs and stuff, and, you know, try and educate the public on it. it. That, I wouldn't say so much pamphlets unless, like, you know, Corvo wants to, like, you know, give me some sort of literature that you could give out i'm just saying if you had the stickers where the people are like oh what's this and you're like oh this is for corva you should check it out you know most of them probably won't but some of them will and i mean realistically corva is not an expensive organization to be a part of um i mean being into the other hobbies that i'm into um i've seen lifetime memberships for certain things um like the California Pistol and Rifle Association, lifetime is like six, seven hundred bucks. You know, which Ooh. sounds like a lot. Yeah. But if you, but they, a lot of them have the easy pay. You could pay like thirty bucks a month till it's paid off. But right. well, like Corva is kind of the same thing. A lifetime membership is, I think, four hundred bucks, and or you could do monthly, and it's only. Or no, yearly, and it's forty. So like, if you're like, yeah, I only want to do it for X amount of years, you could just pay your forty bucks a year until you know you quit. And I think they have another promotion going on. It's uh, they got a 
lifetime membership of 300 and you make monthly payments of like 20 bucks until it's paid off or something like that. That's a good deal. Honestly, I would try and do like talk to him about the scale stickers. I think that's cool. Have the real stickers too because people would probably put them on their regular cart in addition to their crawler. But I mean, like uh, even even having brochures and stuff, like I think all of that's a good idea, honestly. Like, I'm, and I'm sure they'd be happy to send you all that stuff. I mean, if you're trying to spread awareness and help support their cause, I'm sure they would totally get behind the RC side of it because like you were saying, I mean, a lot of RC stuff is at the same one-to-one places, you know? Uh, like Cisco's a perfect example of Fordyce being there and everything. Yep. And well, we've... I'm, yeah, and we've crawled at Rubicon. Um, yeah. I just think it'd be, I do, I think it'd be cool to, you know, sp- spread awareness to, you know, these places, you know, they do take, you know, they do take, um, you know, maintenance, and they, you know, there are areas that the state would love to just take over and say, yeah, no, you're not doing this anymore, and, um, yep, sucks to be you. Oh, yeah, no, because they don't care half those people that make those laws aren't the ones out there enjoying any of these areas nope you know they have golf club memberships and they go and ride their harleys with their lawyer buddies and stuff on the weekends you know what i mean like they're not there's probably not many people like us with the same interests that we have that are in government you know yeah exactly um but yeah that's something i definitely like to try um and get started and and i mean I'd like to hope we're not the only state dealing with it, but I guarantee anybody else listening to this, if you're in any other state, I guarantee you we're the only ones really dealing with it because it's a circus over here. But oh, yeah, Sierra Club and everything else. There's other things you could do, too. I mean, I don't know if you guys know, like, Tom Woods Drive Shafts up in Utah. Mm-hmm. They uh, they recently started a thing because I, I, I I'm sure you guys are the same way, but I'm very much so pack it in, pack it out. Oh, yep. Yeah. And uh, so what they do now for the one-to-one guys is they every like I think it's like once a month they do a little contest and whoever grabbed the most trash out of the backcountry or whatever and posts a picture of it on their rig and all that, you know, showing that they're doing their part, they get like a free drive shaft or like a free T-shirt or you know just something to encourage people to you know pick up after themselves. Dude, that's and, rad. And show that you know people are doing their part and trying to keep the trails open. You know, because that that's awesome. And like, I tried to, I talked about doing a thing like that up here. Like one of the parks we go to is like, I I mean, it's a beautiful spot, but unfortunately, like I've been there and there's been like drunks like sleeping it off. You know, like passed out on the grass at six in the morning when I show up to set up the course. And there's cigarette butts everywhere and broken beer bottles because kids go up there at night because they can you know drink and chances are nobody's going to see him and stuff. So I wanted to do a thing where we go and like clean up the area and try and get somebody on board like Proline or someone so that there's some like raffle prizes for the cleanup day. Yeah. Like I've, I've wanted to do something like that, but honestly, dude, like as much as I love the guys in our club, I bet we'd get three or four dudes and that's it out of 130. Yep. It's a bummer. It is a bummer. And I mean, I, I don't know, like, I'm one of those people, you know, yeah, I get it. Some of the stuff's nasty and you don't want to touch it, you know, but the other stuff, like you're walking by and you see a bottle or a beer can, it's already all empty. Just pick it up, you know? The the city of Anacortes told us they would pay for a dumpster and everything to be delivered up there for us. 
Well, that's awesome. Yeah, like, it was rad. Like, I mean, it, it's a done deal if you can just get the people to participate. But, I mean, like, it, that's the hard part. I mean, I know people have lives and stuff, but when it comes to a cleanup day, you're going to probably find 80 different things you could be doing that, you know, oh, I'm too busy. I've got to wash my tennis shoes that day. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, everybody yeah. wants to play, but they don't want to, like, well, yeah, you got to put in the work, though. Like, people need to realize that. Like, it, if we don't put in the work, stuff will close and people will be unhappy. And then what will we be doing? Nothing. Yeah, exactly. You know, like either be poaching trails or having to drive much further to go have a good time. And exactly. both, both of those things suck. So, oh, yeah. So, well, I was going to say, so this thing doesn't get too long in the tooth. Um, Maybe we just, unfortunately, abruptly end this one. And uh, these are all topics we can bring up in the next one. Um, I'm sure we'll have, you know, Brandon back at an, at another point. Um, oh yeah, for sure. It's it's always fun getting people on here and just getting to talk and hearing their side of the things too. Because, you know, when you be, when when you're like, you know, I mean, we're all friends. You know, we've yeah. all talked outside, you know, outside of the, the podcast. But, like, when you do this, like, all the time, like, you know, me and Jay were, what, we're on, like, fifth, episode 15. Yeah. You know, we've, we've, we've already said our piece numerous times. But now we get to hear somebody else's, you know, um, two cents and or their perspective. And it actually starts side conversations because you're going, oh, I didn't think about that. Or, right. oh, you know, that's cool. No, so, not, that's what's rad about our format. That's what I love about it. It's like talking around the campfire. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we we knew we wanted to talk about winches today, but then we ended up getting into like land use and stuff like that too. So I mean, it all matters. No, I I, <laughs> I think it's right. And plus, you know, people are gonna like people are gonna get to know the guests and stuff on here, and it's gonna come to a point where people are gonna like want to hear a person that's been on come back again and just share what they've been up to. Yeah, yep. like, you know, because well, it's I mean, interesting. It's even stuff like. You know, for the smaller companies like like Brandon with Snowmod, I'd be happy if one person listening to this went out and bought a set of of snowballs. I'd yeah. be like, I'd be like, all right, we did our part. You know, we, you know, I mean, obviously we'd like to see more than that, but you know, if you can right. get it with one person, then you know you're like, you know, you're getting your your getting the oils going. You're getting yeah. the juices flowing. You know? well, and that's, you know, one thing for me is I've always stood behind my stuff, and I, I, I know some people call me crazy, but I don't spend money on advertisement because I'm completely content with just throwing a bunch of sets out there and letting people figure it out for themselves and letting it spread by word of mouth because yeah. all that stuff is going to be positive and productive and keep things moving forward. You know, you spend a bunch of money on advertisement, then you're out that money. So if you didn't make any money, then what did you make? Absolutely nothing. It's you know? hard. I, I went about seven years before finally paying for any kind of advertising. Yeah. Um, it, it's tough because it's it, like when you're a business owner, like any little outgoing expense, you're going, oh, ouch. God. Oh, absolutely. You know, so. you know, like I for me, you know, I take it for shipping a little bit. But at the same time, it keeps everybody happy. And, and you know, that matters. You know, at least to me, you know, I, I love my customer service. I'm very interactive with my followers and my friends and stuff on social media. You know, I'm always talking to everybody, you know, and uh, so, yeah, no, I think that's great, man. And you've got so, a good thing going. And plus, I mean, it's like a 
honest to goodness good product you know adam and i were not like getting paid to you know it, it yeah. there's no like ulterior motive behind us trying to push it like we push stuff that we like and believe in that we think is awesome and would benefit other people and help you know help them extend their fun that they're having with their vehicles and mm -hmm. you know like i'll tell people about your stuff all day if i have to well i really appreciate it guys <laughs> oh yeah um, no problem and, dude thank you and thank you and real quickly before we let you go um tell us where they could find your products if they wanted to purchase them uh right now we are working on the website but right now just the best place to reach us is on facebook just message us directly uh only one of two people reply so you're getting us directly uh there's nice. no middleman no nothing so uh but hopefully soon they will be available other places it's kind of nice that you don't shift people to a call center in india no <laughs> you're not to that point yet and thank you no. for that and i don't think i even would you know i i grew up doing customer service whether it be at a ski area or a radio shack yeah whatever the case was uh and i was always really good at it and part of the fun of this hobby is actually interacting with the people uh you know so i really enjoy it you know it does get a little overwhelming sometimes but it's oh, still yeah. worth it at the end of the day yeah, for sure. Totally. No, it's awesome, man. Well, you've been awesome to have on here. We're definitely going to do it again. I um, appreciate it. It was a pleasure being here. Man, we set a new record, two hours and 20 minutes. It's All pretty right. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, definitely one of our longer ones. And, and honestly, I'd like to, and I know we're still in the in the early stages. I know as far as podcasting go, we're still you know wet behind the ears. Um, I'd just like to hear back from some people like, what is an average time you want to listen to us jibber jabber? Are you like happy with, you know, about an hour and a half cutoff or are you like, Oh, we want more and like take it a little longer. Or do you guys hit the one hour mark and you're like, yeah, I'm over this and we're turning it off. That's so, a really good question. I like I'm, to get feedback from people. I yeah. personally, cause I've watched every episode. I personally, I've turned it on while I'm wrenching it's cause I don't need to watch it. So right, I right. do it while I'm ranching and I just let it go, you know. So I watch minute, minute, beginning to end, you know. So <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for the support and the ongoing support. Um, and with that, we will uh, see you guys next week. Have All right, take it easy, everybody. Yeah.